Ciao ragazzi and welcome to another edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio, told like it is. I'm Frank Cravello. He's Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. How are we doing on this uh, Tuesday evening back in our normal time slot? Yeah, back Ish. in the normal time slot and yeah, a little bit of a late start, um, but uh, doing all right. Getting uh, getting geared up for the Thanksgiving uh, uh, with, the, uh, with the turkey and everything. Um, Let's go. They are back. We've we never left Stevie. Uh, right. Hey, uh, Stevie, you know, make sure you tell your paisans about us, huh? Hey, look yeah. at these t-shirts we got from uh, Hardcore Italians. You definitely want to check them out. It's freaking awesome gear. I love it. Yep. It's like we're reading our mind, watching our podcast, you know, with this. So, uh, hey, definitely go get it. Go to their their website and get their shirt because it's uh, it's very, very comfortable, Frank. Maybe they can come up with some steady sit down gear. That'd be kind of Hey, nice. there you go. So, there you go. Baby steps, you know. We're wearing their shirt. Baby steps. We're wearing their shirt. We're playing the part. So why not? So um, we do have a guest joining us uh, this week. He is earning his first cap on the Serie A sit-down. He's the producer and host of at Forza Napoli Pod. He's a calcio writer at, for World Football Index. We say benvenuto to Joe Fischetti. Ciao, Joe. Ciao, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Pleasure to be on. Pleasure to get my first cap. <laughs> Pleasure to, uh, to have you on with us, my friend. Uh, so um, we can find you at Joe underscore Fischetti5. Um, and that is F-I-C-F-I-S-C-H-E-T-T-I-5. Um, why don't you, we start, you're a Napoli supporter, so clearly we're going to talk about Napoli Milan and uh, you're gracious Hello, enough uh, and classy enough to come on, uh, uh, you know, especially on a podcast hosted by two Milan supporters. <laughs> I salute you. Uh, we'll, we promise we'll be nice. Uh, but, you know, start with maybe, uh, you know, so, you know some of your work. Tell us about the Fortunopoly pod and then maybe uh, even, you know, how you came into being a Napoli supporter. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the podcast we started uh, in the summer during the lockdown, actually, uh, when, when the league was uh, not playing, which was intentional, I figured, you know what, let me – give it a bit of a soft launch, work out the kinks. Um, and now we're full-blown two episodes a week. Um, it's a Napoli podcast, but I cover all matches. Every other episode, I do a, about a 20-minute segment where I, I recap every single match, um, more analytically rather than simply describing the goals. Anybody could go watch highlights. I don't need to do that. But it, it gives give my two cents, and it, it helps with the writing side of things as well. Mm. Uh, and, and I find it's... There's no better way to be able to preview a Napoli match than to to watch what other teams are doing. Um, and I also I listen to a ton of podcasts. I'm a t- podcast junkie. But again, um, and especially you know, I'm biased because I, I host a club specific pod. I love your podcast. I love the other ones that cover the entire league. But I also listen to crazy enough. I listen to Milan podcasts. I listen to Roma podcasts. You know are arrivals i don't listen to too many uva podcasts i haven't made that (laughs) again if if you want the most in-depth understanding of a club the best way to get it is from from those fans they know it best just like you guys would know a lot more than i would about napoli uh, about milan sorry um so yeah and and then the writing unfortunately i haven't been able to write as much as i would like to lately with with two matches a week it's pretty intense yeah um but i you know trying to yep Excellent stuff. Um, 
Now, I think what we want to start with here, uh, Joe, is the, uh, the the article that you actually did come out. A, a player that has gotten uh, Richard in my attention, albeit on a team that's that's performing uh, poorly, um, and that is uh, this young striker Gianluca Scamacca. And I think that now yeah. he's really uh, catching the eye of uh, you know everybody in Serie A, and he's making a lot. He's starting to make some. He, he started by making some ripples. Now he's making some waves. Uh, you know, so what uh, what pushed you to go in the direction of Skamaka? And uh, t- tell me some of the things that you've noticed about his game and uh, some of the things that you like about him. Yeah, it was, to be honest, the, the first thing that, that caught, the reason I, I looked at him was because I'm in a, a Fanta Calcio. And so I picked him up in, in the pool. But um, also just watching the matches, I, I noticed that, he has all the attributes of yeah. a true number nine. Yep. And that's a position that's in very low supply at the moment. Um, so I, I started paying attention and, and he went on a bit of a hot streak. He actually started out at least with Genoa scoring his first goals in the Coppa Italia. I think it was against Catanzaro. He scored a brace there and then he got a bit fortunate um, because Destro, I believe picked up an injury. Um, so that allowed him to get into the starting lineup he scored again. He scored the following match. I think it was against, I want to say Sampdoria and, and one other team. Um, and then he also got a nice assist in, in the Roma match. So even though Destro's come back now, he's taken over that that starting role. And I, I think uh, he's going to be a player that if he keeps this up, there are going to be a lot of a lot of clubs keeping an eye on him. Um, I, I did see him a little bit last year for Ascoli and Seti B. I, I just sort of started getting into Seti B, so I, I didn't watch it religiously. I still don't, uh, mostly just highlights. But he scored nine goals in, in 33 appearances there, which is a pretty decent output. I mean, it's not not top of the league or anything. Yeah. Um, and he's also doing really well on the international stage with our U21 team. Yep. Uh, he picked up, I think he got a brace against Luxembourg, and then he scored against Sweden as well. So right now he's firing on all cylinders. He almost got one this weekend against Udinese, yep. uh, but it was taken away by the VAR. Yep. Um, he's he's so, playing really good. Hey, yeah. uh, so um, you guys got Dazen and Dazen over in Canada, right? And yeah. Do they got City B over there? Uh, occasionally they pick up okay. the odd match. Okay, I'm just curious, um, curious. We don't get anything here, so you know we have to really find the uh, illegal way to kind of get Teddy B here, if at all, you know. So uh, yeah, with uh, with us, you can. I think they have an app. I don't know. I, I can watch. You can watch all the highlights on their app. Okay. Where I watch most of mine, and then I have a sports book that I use. That if you uh, put a small wager on the game, then you get to to watch the game live. So okay, right on. So I, you know, you know, it's the one thing that uh, drew us to Skamaka and early on the season when he made his first start. And first, you mentioned how he was fortunate that you know Destro uh, didn't get to play because of injury, and he got to start. I think Genoa are, are fortunate ones because Destro is never going to score anyway, right? Uh, so it's good for them, good fortune for them that he didn't play, and then they found this gem in Skamaka. Uh, you know, the first thing we noticed about him is you know, like like you mentioned in the article, his size. He's like what six three, six four, six five. On, it's six five. Yeah, he's a big six, guy. Five. And he's very agile. He's very mobile for a big guy. Um, he's got a full frame, but it, you know a lot of the big guys are very slow. He's he's got pace. He's got a quick first touch, um, and he's got good passing ability. Um, what about his? You know, obviously we we can talk about all the goals he wants, but um, I, I noticed in your article as well that you talked about his vision for passing and, and setting up his teammates was also something very unique for a number nine that we haven't seen in a while. You know, it's been missing from from the Italian game. It seems like. 
Uh, tell us more about that, uh, what you've seen from Skamaka over you know this season and even last and the year before that. Yeah, well, that's that's you, you put it perfectly, Richard. That he he's so versatile. He can do so many things. He speaking to Tumilanisti, he reminds me a little bit. There, I say like Zlatan. I mean, mm. no one's that confident, but he's very. <laughs> confident. I, I mentioned in the article, he's he's got just the the right amount of arrogance, even which is something you want from a striker. I mean. They tend to be selfish people, and and again, that's what you want from guys that put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. But you can also only be that confident if you can deliver, and he does. When he gets those chances, he puts them away. But he also has the ability to pass. I, I mentioned that one in the in the Roma match. Yeah, it was a perfect through ball uh, on the ground. It was accurate. Um, so you know, not all strikers are able to do that, especially the bigger ones. I mean, that's I think something that's more common in, in the modern game where. These are not guys that you're just lofting the ball up to them and and they're a target man that'll take the ball down with their back to goal, hold up and lay off for the, the guy that actually puts the ball in the net. Now you're you're seeing these strikers like an Ed and Jekyll too, that they have that touch where they can score, but they can also pass. He um yeah, he doesn't strike me as a typical nine, uh, you know, or a traditional nine, even though he has the frame for it, as you guys have been talking about. You know, it, He's got other technical qualities to his game, you know, his passing, his even crossing too, um, you know, and he plays with range. He doesn't sit in a central forward position. You see him moving around a lot, you know, getting into areas where he can get the ball. Um, yeah, I think there's a there's good things coming from him. You know, where places that he could fit down the road. I know Roma fans are screaming for him, uh, at least a couple of them that I saw on Twitter, and I think that that would be an, a that would actually be a very interesting fit. Um, you know, Aiden Jekyll, how much longer is he going to play there? And is Borja Mayoral really the long-term answer? Inter said it's striker. Juve is said it's striker. Milan, Ibra's not playing forever, um, you know. And you look at some of these other teams at the top of the table, they're, they're set at the striker position. But, you know, the, mo the most glaring ones here, if Skamaka has a destination, in my opinion at least, Roma and then possibly Milan um, – but uh, what do you think? I mean, with his skill set and knowing, you know, having a chance to take a look at some of these other teams as someone that takes a look at Nop Napoli's opponents and, you know, eyes up the enemy, if you will, uh, you know, week in and week out. Uh, where do you find his skill set best fitting among the uh, top teams in Serie A? You know, I I'm very curious to see where he ends up because he's actually owned by Sassuolo. He's, he's currently on loan. Mm. And... Right now he's on loan because they have Chicho Caputo, so they, right. don't, yeah. they don't want Scamacca rotting away on the bench. But Caputo, as as well as he's playing, he's not that young, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm curious to see whether Sassuolo goes to cash him in, or if they look to make him the striker of the future. Right. Um, if if the plan is to make him the striker of the future, they probably loan him out again for another year or two, maybe again to Genoa since he's having success there. If they sell him, I think there's going to be a pretty long list of clubs that are going to be looking for him. I agree, Roma makes a lot of sense because that's a glaring weakness for them at the moment. You know, Inter, Napoli signed Osimhen, so we don't need a number nine right now. Um, but I can also see a club like Juventus. You know, they Ronaldo, I don't know how long he's going to be at Juve for. Morata, yeah, he's playing well now, but again... I don't know how how consistently well he's going to be. What's the future of Dybala? 
I hate to say it, but I could, he seems like the type of player that could end up at Juventus and maybe sit on the bench and learn a thing or two and then, uh, you know, groom him to be the next striker over there. Yeah, no, that, that's it's, it's an interesting point. And I like the chat about Roma. Um, it's because, you know, they have a, such a fantastic midfield right now. They got, you know, five good guys that can move the ball around and they just need a big man to help facilitate that ball, kind of like the way Osiman does for you guys. And I think if he can do that, if he goes slots into Roma, you know, he can help set up those guys like Mikatarian, who loves his off the ball runs and, and get him even more goals than he's getting now. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. Our, our buddies here at Milan Weekly podcast are on and they're saying, you know, you know, could he become like a Piantic 2.0? We saw this with Genoa before, right? He was flourishing over there. Milan had snagged him up for what, 35 million euros. Uh, and he started the first six months very well. And then his first full season with Milan uh, just disappeared. And it, part of it was a service. Uh, but there's always that worry when you go for a big-name striker or someone you think that has the potential, uh, even like with you guys, with Osiman, there's always that unknown that he could be a flop. Um, but I think with, you know, with, the, with tangibles that you're saying that he brings and that we've seen, um, the, the chances of, the, of him being a flop are less likely, unless he makes a move that doesn't make sense fit-wise, because I think that's the one thing that could really deter his, his uh, trajectory, I think. Uh, is there a team that you think he... I mean, obviously, Roma, Roma fans, because he, you know, he started with the Roma Academy. He's got the neck tattoos, that, and it drives me crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, hey, to each their own. Um, is there a, what do you think would be the – for him? I mean, obviously, you know, making a move is maybe a good move or maybe not. Maybe What do you think for him? Is it best to stay with, you know, the Sassuolo slash, you know, loan moves or try to push for a move to somewhere else where he can get a starting job? Uh, what do you think is probably best for his career? If I were to say right now – right. I'd want him to stay where he is and, and get a little bit more experience. I mean, it's, it's still his first season in, in Serie A. I mean, we're only eight matches in. It, Very young, too. Yeah, and so if it's working there, I mean, he's got Pandev playing with him. I, I, this is probably Pandev's last year. I don't know how much longer he's got in him, but that's that's a great player to, to play with and, and get some experience, and you can learn yeah. a lot from, from someone like that. My worry about a club like Milan is – other than Zlatan, and who knows, maybe Zlatan ends up with a role at the club beyond his playing career, which, again, his playing career may go on for a couple of years as well because of how well he takes care of himself. 13 more years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, he's another player that can teach him a lot. Yeah. But if Zlatan's not there, I mean, you guys know Milan have a very good squad, but it's a very young squad. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be a little bit concerned about that. Um. I personally, I think he'd be great to stay where he is. I wouldn't mind seeing him play for Sassuolo as well because the Zerbi seems to to get the best out of everyone. So that would be interesting. And and that's a bit more of an attacking style, uh, free-flowing open game that they play. So that could be a team where he can bag a lot of goals potentially. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Uh, Excellent stuff. Great stuff about uh, Gianluca Scamacca. Um, Player with a bright future. Let's see. And, and, Smart man, Joe. You're drinking a beer here during the uh, during the podcast. We appreciate that. Now you're you're the, the Canadian persuasion. What do we got there? We got we got Labats. We got Molsons. What are we doing? No, no, I'm I'm actually drinking Alexander Keats. <laughs> okay, okay. Hey, uh, well, since you're drinking, is it drinking because you saw George's question? George has a question saying, "Hey, man, what's up with Milik this season? Obviously, yeah. he's been in. Uh, he's not in good favors with Gattuso and the team. Uh, give us an update on on Milik. Is he just completely exiled and on the bench, or, or what's going on with him? He is. Yeah, he's been. Um, the, t- the funny thing is, uh, over the international break, we had 16 players on international duty, which is a lot. Yeah. And the club made an announcement uh, 
something to the effect of wishing our 15 players good luck <laughs> that's because they weren't including me league that's how how far removed he is the head, so, it has adl written all over it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no he's uh he's basically at home occasionally we see him pop up at training but it seems like it's just waiting for the january uh, transfer window to to get what we can get for him mm, mm. And we'll get into. We'll have a few more questions here about Napoli, um, but let's talk about the game uh, that took place on Sunday. Napoli and Milan at the time was third against first. Lots of talk about, you know, this game and the buildup heading in. Uh, we thought there'd be goals uh, when these two hook up at the San Paolo. There seems to be, and there was this time. Um, we had a lot of different theories going out out there about, you know, you know, Napoli will win because of this, Milan will win because of this. Um, but uh, let's let's break down what happened and let's start with the team news. Uh, first with Napoli, it was uh, Merritt and goal uh, with Noah Spina available, and then a back four, uh, a solid enough back four for Napoli of Giovanni Di Lorenzo, um, Manolas Koulibaly, and Mario Rui, uh, and then a bit of a double pivot there with um, Bakayoko and Fabian Ruiz, and then they played a. Three man attack. They played basically had a three man attacking midfield. This was the lineup that I actually expected. There was talk about Patania. I didn't agree with it. I thought that Dries Mertens would start as a false nine, and he did. Um, Lorenzo Insigne to the left, Herring Lozano to the right with Politano down the middle. And I think that that interchanged a lot too. Um, but this, I mean, Osterman wasn't available. And Joe, the biggest reason why I thought that this was the more practical lineup was because it was so dominant when these two teams last played each other in July. Yeah, I I wanted to see Patania to be honest. I was concerned when I saw the the squad being released. I, I couldn't figure out who was going to play where. I, the one thing I was sure of was that Politano would play on the right, and he yeah. didn't. Um, he ended up playing in the middle. And and to your point, Frank, they they moved around quite a bit. There wasn't much of a position really for any of those front four. And I think that ended up hurting us more than it helped us. But it was one of those things where if it worked out, we would have been singing Gattuso's praises. Turns out half an Napoli Twitter thinks he should be fired now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was a very harsh reaction. Um, I, I wanted to see Patania in there to give us a bit more structure. Um, I, I really like how Politano's been playing on the right. Insignia is definitely our, our left winger. And I think Dries, especially over the last half a season or so he's been more uh clinical as the number 10 rather than as the lone striker and i don't know if that's just he's in a rut or if it's his age is catching up to him um, but i was concerned because he hasn't been scoring that much lately we were hoping that he scored a really nice goal in nations league for belgium a free kick in his hometown we were hoping that was giving would give him the confidence but it didn't really seem to work what we saw was that whether Politano was lined up in the center or not, he just naturally drifted out to the right wing a lot. And he was one of our better players in the match, but he did it on the right wing. That forced Lozano to cover in the middle. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good place for Lozano to be playing. We've seen no. when Ancelotti played him in the middle in the 4-4-2, it didn't work. Gattuso tried playing him in the middle, didn't work. When he plays on the wing, he plays very well. So we didn't. that was the challenge. We had three wingers on the field to play in our front four. Yeah. Now, Richard, um, I think the reason why I uh, I liked the idea of Dries Mertens up front is because with Milan, uh, you go back to the center back pairing of Simon Chiara and Romagnoli. Let me give you the rest of the lineup. Donnarumma in goal, 
Uh, the back four was Calabria, Chiar, Romagnoli, and Teo. Uh, the double pivot that we've all gotten used to with Benacer and Kessie. Uh, Chalhanolu in his attacking midfield role, uh, flanked by Ante Rebic uh, to the left and Salamakas to the right, and of course Latan up front. I think a big reason why I liked um, Mertens um, is I think that a, 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 a player like Patania starting is, you know, for me, in my opinion, just not as mobile. Yeah. And when you have a center back like Romagnoli who has come back from injury and has shown that. He has yeah. struggled over the last couple of games. I don't think you want to put a striker in there against him that's probably going to be a little bit more predictable in his play, yeah. um, where Mertens is a guy that can pull things apart. And then you got that that front four basically can move all over the place. You're going to have him in wider areas where you're going to get – there's a better chance for – you're going to have Napoli attacking in wider areas, I should say, where there's a better chance for Romagnoli to get switched off in those certain situations or arrive late – uh, on a ball played in. And I, it, to me, it seemed that that's like what, what Katusa was going for. And for me, the biggest concern going into that game was the defensive form of Romagnoli, but also Teo Hernandez. Yeah. And I, I agree with you hundred percent. I think, you know, also another thing other than, you know, Romagnoli being uh, needs someone who can, they can predict like Patania, you know, having someone like Mertens, you know, Kiara's not the, f- the quickest guy either. He's, he's right. very smart um, and he's great positionally, but, he isn't that fast, and having all these little guys there that can, you know, interchange and 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 beat you behind, uh, past the ball. That that's something I think that was absolutely, you know, going to be in favor of Napoli. And, and even Bonetti said in the podcast, or in, in the podcast on the air, um, he was saying how like people were saying like, oh, I'm not sure about Dries Mertens, but you know, Mertens has scored 30 goals before as a false nine. Sure. Now, granted, it was a different system, granted, yep. but I think uh, coming in a situation like this where you had two slower foot uh, center backs, one especially whose confidence is not that great. Uh, it's a perfect time to try to exploit that with uh, some pace. And we saw a little bit in the game where some of the pace here guys, Politano at one point, I remember, just blew by Romagnoli. So yeah. um, having having that pace is always going to be good against a, a slower foot of defenders, defenders, I should say. Yeah, I think if that was definitely Gattuso's game plan to go with speed mm-hmm. over size. I think what most Napoli fans would have preferred to see, though, is then to go back to that 4-3-3, playing Senior on the left, Mertens in the middle, Politano or Lozano on the right, whichever one, and put Zielinski in the middle uh, to give us a bit more creativity, a bit more of a direct play. Zielinski plays more vertically. The, the problem is Gattuso stuck with the 4-2-3-1, which is a system that works really well with Osimen because he creates so much space with his speed. But without Osimen, even with Lozano in that position, as fast as he is, it doesn't. Yeah. it's not as effective. Yeah. And what's been really hurting Napoli lately is we haven't had that creativity in the midfield. So those guys can only do so much, but they need service. And Fabian can be the best player in the world on one day and then disappear the next day. I mean, he played amazing again in the Nations League against Germany in that, that big 6-0 win. But he didn't do a whole lot in this match. So I would have liked I'm, – I'm fine with Mertens playing as a striker or as a false nine. But then I would have liked it to be in a 4-3-3 with Zielinski in the midfield. You mentioned creativity and stuff like that. You know, uh, Steve from Milan Weekly Podcast says, you know, do miss, the Napoli miss Alan? Uh, and he had a little bit of, uh, you know, creativity with him. And also, you know, the, the green tie in the middle of the, in the middle of that pitch. Do you guys miss him and, and some of the, some of the stuff that he brought, or do you feel like you know the, the job that Fabian and and Bakayoko what they're doing are, are are more than enough to make up for his loss? I I miss Prime Milan when he first joined the club. The problem was the time had come for him. He he wasn't motivated anymore. He wasn't happy about the lack of playing time that he was getting. 
So I think I missed the qualities that he brought us when he was at his best, but it was the right move to, to move on, I think. Um, we I think Zielinski might have had a better chance of playing in this match if he wasn't. I think he's still kind of recovering from COVID. He, he seems to be close to 100% now, but we we definitely lack that creativity in the midfield. And and the one thing that, that Bakayoko gives us that I think Alan had too was that sort of tenaciousness on, on the yeah. defensive end. So I don't think we're, we're lacking there. Yeah, he's really Although, good again, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about Bakayoko. And, mm-hmm. uh, Maybe. Maybe. Um. I almost think that the Napoli shape is just to and 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 this is I've, I've heard you know I've, this has been a criticism of Gattuso before in big games. Um, you know, I mean, when he was managing uh, Milan, um, and we had Nima on here, and we were you know after the derby, and, and he even pointed it out. He said Gattuso tends to pucker up in bigger games and tends to maybe get away from the identity, you know, that maybe a Napoli should be, or, you know, when he was managing Milan, a Milan should be, and be able to take, have the confidence in his team, be able to take the game to to, uh, to opponents. Now, I mean, you look at the statistics, and they're kind of flattering to Napoli. I mean, in the first half, they had They're very flattering. They had 63% of the possession. They outshot Milan um, 11 to 7. Uh, they had shots on target. There was really nothing um, that uh, that – that really troubled though, you know, Donnarumma there in the first half. And I think that troubled Milan as a defense. And I think it was just the ability that, okay, you're going to send your front four. You're going to move them around. We're going to have our back four compact. And then we're also going to have Cassie and Benacer in front of the back four, you know, you know, cutting things out. And I'm going to get to Benacer in a minute here because I thought he was man of the match, you know, just, you know, Zlatan got the brace, but I thought Benacer was the best player on the pitch in this game. Um, but, you know, Casey Cordray is saying, please explain how Zlatan was able to dominate everything against Koulibaly and Manolas when every header duel, etc. Well, you know, let's look at the opening goal um, in the 20th minute. Zlatan on a header from Hernandez. And it was a movement where Zlatan starts charging forward and both Manolas and Koulibaly are dropping off as if to pick him up. And it's a play where Zlatan stops briefly be- and largely because Hernandez's cross is coming in in front of both Manolas and Koulibaly. So they take that step back, which is just enough for Zlatan to have his room and head the ball home. And he headed it from quite a distance. Um, Beautiful. You know, I think that, you know, how Zlatan was able to dominate everything was, and I, and I I went into this saying, I don't think this is a Zlatan game just because of Koulibaly. You know, as, as great as this man has been at 39 years old, Koulibaly is one of the best defenders in the world. Yeah. Um, but... I, so I was astonished that Zlatan found space. I mean, and I think it was a, you know, it was a positioning issue on the opening goal um, here where they got fooled into constantly tracking back and tracking into the penalty area. And the cross came in a lot, you know, a lot more shallow. Um, and Zlatan saw it. He read the game. He read it. He stopped, headed it home. Um so that's where Zlatan becomes effective. He has the instincts to read it. I think that this is a positioning issue for Koulibaly and for Manolas on this goal, but smart on the part of Milan to see it and, and see it and read it and pick it out and smart on Zlatan and being able to adjust uh, and, and catching the center backs, getting just out of position enough for him to score. That's what veteran strikers and world-class strikers and, and one of the best to do it 
uh, do in these situations. Thoughts on the center backs in that in that in defending that goal? Yeah, I I agree with you that I also thought Koulibaly was going to win that battle. And when we've seen Koulibaly get beat, it's usually by speed, not by size, because he's he's a big, yeah. strong guy himself. Yeah. You're right, Frank, as well, that he did take a slight step back. If if you watch his eyes on that play, he's waiting for the ball, and Zlatan attacks the ball. Mm -hmm. That's how he got yep. there first. It was a world-class header. I mean, even if no one's around you, it's hard to put a header in from that spot. Yeah. One thing I do when I review the goals, um, I always rewind about, half a minute or minute and see what happened before the goal because you yep. what you'll find there's there's always a, a bit more blame to go around there's never just one player and what happened on this play it started with a throw-in um i think it was Teo hernandez that played it into frank Kessie. he plays it back to romagnoli mm -hmm. romagnoli gives it to benacer at that point when romagnoli has the ball lozano is marking Teo on the wing mm -hmm. benacer steps up three napoli players collapse on him including lozano which leaves tail wide open on the wing. Yeah. Play in all the space in the world to play in the perfect cross. And he did it. Yeah. And even if it wasn't tail, um, Chalanoglu set himself up between the lines and between Manolas and Fabian. So I think it was Rebic that laid it, that received the pass from Benacer and touched it back to tail, but he could have just as well laid it off to Chalanoglu who was wide open. And he would have had a similar opportunity to play an in swinging cross or to carry right down our throat. So, it's easy to blame Koulibaly, and he's certainly not without blame on that goal. But I, I think Lozano needs to bear some of that one as well. Yeah, I mean, allowing the allowing the cross to come in. You know, uh, keeping up the you know keeping up the point on what Casey was making about how you know Zlatan just you know won all the aerial duels against Koulibaly and Manolas. Now Koulibaly and Manolas are both great leapers. They're great leapers, and Zlatan just a couple of replays you watch Zlatan being six inches above them. You're like, holy Jesus, this guy's 39 years old, and he's out jumping two great leapers, um, and you know, a lot of it was using his intelligence, his experience, and trying to and, and getting to the balls before the other guys. But some of it is just pure leaping ability by Zlatan. I mean, it's incredible for a 39-year-old doing his, you know, whatever jujitsu or whatever he does to keep in shape. But my goodness, that's impressive when you could outjump Manolas and Koulibaly by that significant of a margin. Yeah, very, very athletic. I mean, on the second goal, he scores with, uh, I think the best description I heard of it was like a, a UFC-style yeah. flying Right. Yeah. Like uh, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that uh, athleticism, that creativity, and that confidence to do things like that. The thing that always gets me is when he controls the ball with a, like a karate kick, you know, six feet in the air. Um, it, unbelievable athleticism. He's he's defying all all logic with with the way he's playing right now. I it's pull cool. my groin watching him. I'm like, oh my god, how do you do that? Yeah. <laughs> the stuff he's doing at there. I'm 45. The stuff he's doing at 39. You know. I, I, I'd like to be able to kick the ball in the yard with my kids. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I'm not trying any of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, so, the, you know, one nil at halftime Milan. And then in the second half, I mean, it was more of the same story. I mean, it's almost like Milan were happy to let Napoli have the ball really made Napoli predictable throughout the whole game. Um, and, you know, Zlatan's second goal. And let's get to that a little bit here too, because I think, you know, when you take a look at this Giovanni Di Lorenzo, and Manolas on that on the right hand side of that defense, they had a horrible night. Um, Manolas gets outpaced this time by Rebic. We'll talk about how he got outpaced on the third goal here in a little bit. Um, Rebic gets enough space, puts the ball across, and again, you know Zlatan is free, and you know Jujitsu uh, UFC knee smash into the goal uh, to make it two nil to Milan. Um, 
And I I have never seen Koulibaly switch off like that. Um, You know, I I give all the credit in the world for Zlatan for reading it. Uh, Rebic for creating the space to to, to pick out the cross and find him. Um, You know, but I was astonished that to see Koulibaly switch off like he did in that situation. Yeah, that one, it's a bit harder to defend him. Um, it almost looked to me like he wasn't sure whether he should play the offside or mark the man. And that little bit of indecision, and, and Richard, you mentioned Zlatan's intelligence, yeah. that was enough. That's all he needs. Um, and and I, there was also some criticism. I'm not sure how I feel about it on how Meret played the ball. Mm. I, I didn't put too much blame on Meret just because no. he had to defend the shot and the cross. So that kind of froze him to where he was. There were a lot of people kind of saying that he should have come out and, and grabbed that ball. Um, and then again, you mentioned Di Lorenzo. And one of the things that in my preview that I actually said concerned me, because this very thing happened the last time we played against Milan, was that when Di Lorenzo makes his runs, our, our our fullbacks play like wingbacks. They get forward quite a bit. Di Lorenzo, Kusai, Rui, they get forward quite a bit. And I was concerned that while Politano has been very good, he's not the best defender, um, and neither is Fabian. And, and when, a, when a fullback plays like a wingback, you need those guys to then cover them when they get up the pitch. Now, Politano wasn't going to cover them because he was the one that got mixed up with Di Lorenzo on that play up the field where – it seemed like Di Lorenzo was expecting Politano to come back to him, so he chested the ball down, um, but but Politano continued his run. So that gave the ball right back to Milan. Both of them got caught. Now we have Manolas defending Rebic. That's that's a mismatch. Manolas, he's good in the air, but he's he's not nimble enough to, you know, that, that step over froze him just long enough. Um, and again, it was another really good cross. I think... On, on all three goals, I felt like you could be critical of Napoli, but you also had to just tip your hat to Milan because they they did what they had to do and they made great plays to score those goals. Yeah, yeah. they found they, they found and exposed the areas. They they went uh, two nil up there, and then uh, to, to Stevie's point, Milan absorbed a lot of pressure uh, before that second goal. I mean, and it's classic. You're you're up a goal to nil. Uh, and you're coming out of halftime. You're the first thing you're going to expect over the next 15 minutes, and the next the first 15 minutes of the second half is critical. Yeah. You got to keep them out. You got to go hunting for another one. You know they're coming out looking for an equalizer, and they're going to throw a lot of energy at you, which is what Napoli did. Um, Milan diffused it to the point where they could go and, and make it a two nil game and make it a bigger mountain to climb. Um, Gattuso brings out Lozano and brings on Zielinski, and I, that that added some more dynamism to what. Yeah. Napoli could do. Uh, and sure enough, uh, Dries Mertens does make it 2-1. Um, Richard, uh, it's just a, an issue where Milan are all over the place. They got to the first ball, but Dries Mertens was there for the second ball. And just one of those where I think you throw your hands in there and said, hey, I think you did everything right. The ball just falls for Mertens to make it 2-1. Yeah, and, and I'll kind of lean to Joe's point earlier when he's talking about when you see a goal, just kind of go back a little bit. You know, if you watch that play, how it actually started, you know, Kessier, who's normally Mr. Dependent when he's in yeah. his own defensive zone, you know, both uh, both Zelinski, who just came on, and Bakayoko, you know, got right in front of him and took the ball from right there and then he got over to the you know left-wing side, got in the middle, got blocked, like you mentioned, and Mertens got it in for the goal. But, you know, one of the rare mistakes that you'll see from Kessier in a game um, was brilliantly done. I thought the timing by both Bakayoko and Zelensky to pounce on him when they, they that's perfect timing. And then Zelensky, well, you know, he just beautiful. He just slides it off to the, to the side and, you know, he, he sets all the play up. So he should get like a secondary assist to Martino Puccio's point uh, mm-hmm. from earlier in the tweets. But uh, yeah, it was, um, 
it was it was a let off for a moment, but uh, you know that's uh, that's uh, that's what Napoli needed to get back in the game. And it looked like at, at that point, you know, all the momentum was starting to go Napoli's way, uh, two to one at that point. And you're like, you're thinking, okay, game on. But uh, Milan were fairly comfortable, fairly stout defensively for majority of the game. I thought. Yeah, Steve. Uh, Steve says I have to tip my hat to Joe. I wouldn't be this calm after a defeat. We know, Steve. We listen to your pod. <laughs> um, He'd be shirtless too. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit more uh, one of the more calm Napoli fans. Yeah, you're, you're analytical. You're analytical. We like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. I get you know. I, yeah, Richard and I. We we Richard and I have this. Richard and I have this way we approach it. Yeah. Um. Uh. Ahmed, just saying, don't mind me, guys. It's three forty three forty a.m. Just passing by to put bless a like. You. Bless Man, you. bless you. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> We appreciate you. Absolutely. Um, uh, but um, you have to admit, versus Bakioko is an amazing and fun battle to watch, especially for the next three or four years. There was a challenge in the second half where I think it was a 50-50 situation between Lorenzo Insigne and Frank Kessie. And I and I almost tweeted. And I, did, you, did you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I almost tweeted. I said, I'm Lorenzo Insigne and Frank Kessie is life. <laughs> <laughs> and he thought he got penalty. I thought he got, he thought he got fouled, but I thought it was a I mean, shoulder. No, it was a, it it was was like, you got you 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 went into a 50-50 challenge with a man. It's like Taylor <laughs> Hernandez a couple weeks in the derby when he tried to go with uh, Lukaku and look, he just bounced off Lukaku. Same same thing. You're going off. Yeah, you went in, you went no into chance. a ground duel. You went into a ground duel with a man. Yeah. With with all five foot four of you, and 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 God bless you for trying, Lorenzo. But Frank Kessie's not somebody you try to no. <laughs> you you're going to win a duel with. No. So um, you know, and then uh, Presidente Frank the Tank Kessie, Presidente, tell me you're having a Verna with a uh, slice of lime uh, or slice of lemon. I'm sorry, slice of lemon. I don't want to. I don't want to offend Presidente. Oh my uh, goodness! Can't get blocked for show. Yeah, I know. As a third year, as a third, third George, as a third year Calgary fan, I get used to losing. When they draw or win, it makes it that much better. There you go. There you go. When you set your expectations low, you know you it's hard to be disappointed, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, Patania does come on uh, in the 69th minute for Politano. You know, at that point, uh, too tired tonight, Frankie. Well, that's exactly well. Presidented, that's exactly when you drink one. <laughs> you can you can sleep better. All right. So, but anyway, uh Joe Pitania in the 69th. Okay, Bakioko gets the, the red card on the on the second the second yellow, which I don't think anybody was gonna pick a fight over. Um, you know, it he tried to stop him. I, I can't remember who was going forward with the ball, but he tried to stop it and tail. Yeah, tail, tail, yeah. it was tail, yeah. Committed a professional foul. Um, well, let me ask you this. So, cause, okay, so the first foul, the first yellow was in the 16th minute against Teo, or against Salamaker, excuse me, and stepped on his ankle, clear yellow, right? Um, I actually think he should have been ejected earlier in the match. Uh, I think it was around the 50th minute or so. He elbows, and I forget who it is, uh, I mean, it's a clear elbow on a play, uh, and I thought he should have got a yellow then. And then I thought that was the, the one that he actually got the second yellow on was the least of the three fouls, I thought. Um, but you know, to be to play to be you know fair, also I thought there's a play where Zlatan could have got a yell for elbow and Koulibaly, and there's some other questionable plays that they were missed in the game for sure. So I'm not going to say that it was all Napoli, but I thought Bakayoko's already playing with house money because he should have been ejected far earlier in the game at least. I don't know if you saw that play, but um, it was questionable for me. I thought and I thought that was far worse than the one he actually got the yellow for. Yeah, so it's funny because I interact with a lot of Milanisti and I interact with a lot of Napolitani and. The funny thing is, on the first one, Milanisti were 
that's a definite yellow, maybe even a red. Um, studs to the boot. Mm-hmm. Napoli fans, and I, I subscribe to this being a biased Napoli fan, was that Bakayoko is playing a pass and Salamaker steps in as he's landing from his pass. And it's sort of more incidental contact. Now, I get incidental or not, that's maybe still a yellow. But then yeah. to your point, Richard, if Zlatan's elbow to Koulibaly's face may have been incidental too, that yeah. should have been yellow too. So there's a, yeah. a bit of a, a thing there. Um, but I agree 100%. There were probably three or four warning signs that that Bakayoko was going to pick up a second yellow. And I, yeah, I think yeah. all of the mistakes that Gattuso made in this match, not recognizing that or, or at least deciding that it was worth the risk, right. which I don't think it was, especially being down. He could have easily brought in Zielinski to replace Bakayoko and, and go with a more offensive midfield. Or if he didn't want to do that, I know Dem and Lobotka haven't played as much lately, but they're more of that defensive style. Exactly. But it was a very risky play to leave him in. The way he was playing, there were a number of opportunities where he could have, like you said, uh, Richard, he could have got another yellow. So that was that was unfortunate. The funny thing is I even thought that even the second one, I, I think, again, everyone sort of consensus is that it's a definite yellow in real time for sure. But when, when I saw the sort of slow motion replay, it didn't seem like that harsh of a tackle. But again, I agree. you don't always get yellows just for that tackle. Sometimes mm-hmm. you get them for the accumulation of fouls sometimes a team gets one because too many players are fouling the same guy which was happening to teo hernandez in this one so when you put all that together it is a yellow and he, he should have been uh, sent off and I, I do put a bit of that on catuzo for not taking him out sooner president to just make sure that uh we'll just pray that my internet doesn't go out okay yeah um, well we got joe on so that's okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um, no, Deme was available. Lobotka was available. That substitution could have been made. Um, you know, so strange that, especially, and I think it's astonishing for me. Um, I think that that's just one of those where, where Gattuso froze as a manager, because especially in a, in a period where you're allowed up to five substitutions, I thought that that was one that you could have easily made considering. Um, but Patania comes on shortly after that, which changes the shape somewhat here for, for Napoli, even though they're down a man. And I think that, you know, when I, watching these last, Richard, watching these last, uh, you know, 20-odd minutes, it, it looked like Milan were more than happy uh, to say, all right, you're down to 10, but we're still going to let you have the ball. Um, you know, we'll just – We'll just keep it all in front of you. We'll we'll win it, especially. And, I, and this is where I'm I'm going to have my uh, Ishmael Benesser uh, appreciation moment. That man cut out everything, everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, every time I saw him, he was winning a tackle. He was intercepting a pass. He was cutting out a passing lane. Um, you know, usually in big games like this, he's man marking a dangerous midfielder. Uh, back in the derby, he man marked Barella. This yeah. time, he didn't man mark anybody per se, but he. Covered a lot of ground, did a lot of protecting. Benasser was the Benasser, Benasser, whatever, however people pronounce it. You know, I thought he was the best player in this game. Uh, that's a fair shout, and I thought the you know the defense was very stout all game long, picking up passes. It was all led by Kiara, I think. But overall, you know, Benasser doing a great job. Kessie was doing a great job. Rebic and Salamakers coming back, playing you know, defensive, doing defensive work. Teo had a much better game defensively and offensively, I thought overall. And Romagnoli, this is his best game since he's been back. So yeah. it was just, it was a it was a group effort there. Uh, but absolutely, the midfielders were doing. Uh, their job cutting out the passes, making life difficult for all the plays that Napoli likes to set up. Because they went, you know, if Napoli get going, they'll tear you apart. They'll tear apart anybody. And I thought Milan did a great job 
of timing their pressing as well. We saw this during the game is that at various points, they, they picked the players who they would press. Like Fabian, they would stay away from, and then certain players, and seeing he gets the ball, they pounce on him or whatever. And I thought that was brilliantly done by Bonera and, and Pioli to set that up pre-match uh, to get those, you know, points where they had the pressure points where they had to step up, put the pressure and cause them to change their game plan a bit and alter it. Because in the beginning of the game, we saw them, they were going after Teo and Romagnoli as you would, and it wasn't working. And then eventually tried to go to the left side and try to go Calabria and Salamakers, and that wasn't working. They were trying different pressure points, but Milan stood tough, and I thought the two midfielders were excellent in that one. Yeah, for sure. The double pivot was outstanding between Cassie and, and Benesser. I just thought Benesser was better. Um, trust in Padre Pioli's plan. <laughs> and Lord Lord Bonera, Lord Bonera in this case. Um, but, dapper. Uh, He's dapper too, man. Look at that. The way he yeah. dressed. Yeah, yeah. Pretty sharp. Pretty sharp, just as long as he's not playing center back for us anymore. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, we'll talk about the Ibra injury because this win does come at a cost for Milan. But, uh, I, you know, I can't go without talking about uh, Jens Petter Hauga. Um, just confirming the miserable night for Manolas with that step over um, and the finish. Uh, yeah. Just a uh, just a treat to see as a goal. It's one of my goal of the week candidates. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, that confirmed the win for the Rossoneri. It was assisted actually by Benesser. He played him through and it was, again, it was exploiting that, that left-hand side where Manolas is kind of on an Island because Di Lorenzo is pushing forward, yeah. uh, and he's leaving that space. And that's exactly where they went again. Jerry Mancini's in the house. Just remember the best Italian team in champions league. We'll get to that, Jerry. Shut up. Is he talking about Juventus? Um, <laughs> no, Juventus lost the game. Well, he's a Roma fan, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so um Holga came in ready ready for a big game balls for our Milan youth for once absolutely um the kid's gonna be a player we saw you know to Joe's point a lot of great passes that really split apart the defenses right for the first goal there was a pass that set up Teo Hernandez I think it was from Ben Acer. uh the, the second goal was a, a beautiful play by um uh oh who's escaping me now Chalonolu, yes Chalonolu, yeah. and then Ben Acer in the third one so there's some great through ball through ball passes uh, they weren't giving it to the guys; they're leading their guys, and they was brilliantly done, and they just well, well done overall. Yep. Uh, you know, and I saw Casey talking about Milan actually, you know, played their own plan and didn't just try to play Napoli at their game. Uh, I agree with I, I agree with that. I mean, you can see more than happy to let Napoli have the ball, try to make them as predictable as possible, and the areas where they countered, they they exploited the spaces that the fullbacks left. I mean, you look at the. You look at two of the three goals where it happened. The other one came on an early ball, uh, you know, in from Teo Hernandez. So, um, Rossinetti win 3-1. They get uh, – they remain top of the table on 20 points. I'm still trying to get my arms around this idea. Well, um, with that, you know, Casey brings up a good point. You know, is there is there a new expectation for Milan after beating Internopoli and still in first place? For me, no. For me, it's still Champions League. I don't think so. I think it's top four, and I, Steve, I keep saying Steve, it. Whether he it's, says yes, but – yeah, I mean, Steve wants to win things, and and that's fine. But I think considering, I will take a top four finish of any kind as a you know. And I've said this, I've said this to Steve. I've said this on their podcast. I think the very first time I came on, I said I can accept fourth with the idea that it is a stepping stone to greater things. I mean, if we got to take steps to get there, if this is a step to get there at the end of the season, then I'm perfectly fine with that. So, um, you know, as far as Napoli is concerned here, yeah. Joe. Um, you know, this drops him to sixth, uh, puts him on 14 points. I mean, but this is so gosh darn early. I mean, first and eighth are separated by six points. Um, but a game, you know, 
where the courts have probably been unfair to you guys. Uh, the sporting judges have been unfair to you guys. So you're, you're already uphill in that sense. Um, I don't think that this is an indictment on Napoli's title credentials or, or top four credentials. We're only eight games into the season, but can, are you worried that maybe when we are looking at the final points at the end of the season, that this is one that you wish, you know, would have and should have gone a little bit differently? Absolutely. I, I think it's okay to lose the occasional match. I made this point after um, after we lost to Sassuolo that I, I took a look at the the total points that the championship championship team earned since we introduced twenty teams to the league. Mm-hmm. I think it was two thousand three, two thousand four, something like that. And on average, it was eighty eight points in a season, which meant that the champion every year loses the equivalent of just under nine matches. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be probably one of the most competitive seasons maybe ever in Serie yeah. yeah. because of COVID and, and all the matches with the injuries that we're having. And then just the general quality of so many, those top eight clubs really. So uh, there's concern. I, you, Frank, you mentioned earlier how Gattuso has played in, in some of these bigger matches. One of the big concerns I have with Napoli right now is we, we can score against teams like Atalanta that play a more open style and give us that space. But teams are figuring out that if they sit back, like Milan did in this one, like Alkmaar did in the Europa League, mm-hmm. they can beat us. We're having trouble breaking through those you know, those deep defensive teams. The other concern I have, and Gattuso mentions this pretty much, even after we win, I think, is the mentality of this club because they're fragile. And, and that's what we saw last year with the mutiny that – if they get into a funk and they start losing a couple of consecutive matches, we've now lost three consecutive home matches. Hmm. Are they going to break down mentally? And and is that going to affect our, our play? The hope is that now we have Gattuso leading this team. And if anyone can help with mental fragility, he's the guy. Yeah. Um, and that's always the thing that he's praised for is his ability to, to get the most out of his players. So there's some concern there, but I think just like you guys with, with Milan, Napoli, and keep saying it too that our goal is to make the Champions League to get back into it. I think in the back of our minds, yeah, there's that that hope of uh, challenging and, and desire to challenge for the Scudetto. But why put that added pressure on ourselves? Uh, we aim for we aim for the Champions League, very much like Lazio last year, right? We aim for mm-hmm. the Champions League, and and if you find yourself much deeper into the season, still competing for the Scudetto, then yes, you go. For yeah, it. sure, absolutely, and I think. Uh, you know, another dynamic you're talking about how Gattuso there says hopefully that'll change the mentality a little bit. You also got Osiman. Osiman, you didn't have that last year, and he is, we've seen so far this season. It's still early, but a lot of dynamicism with him. Uh, he when he's on the pitch, it just changes the team even better. They're good, but when he's on the pitch, he's making those runs. He's dropping in, getting feeding the guys the balls. We were talking about earlier about Skamaka finding with the vision. Osiman has it as well, and he sets up his team. Every good things happen when he's on the pitch. And you guys didn't really have them in the past. So I think that's another thing good going in your favor. So we'll see. Uh, I, I think you guys are certainly a, a strong candidate to be, obviously, in Champions League. It's going to be tough. It's a, The top eight is very difficult this year. So uh, it'll be very fun fun watching for the neutral fan, no doubt about it. Um, last one for me about Napoli. Um, you know, it's... Uh, Keeping Koulibaly. 
was was critical for for any kind of high end ambitions that Napoli had. And there was a lot of talk about him being in the transfer window. And I, I you know what? The best defenders in the world are going to have a bad game here and there. I mean, I've yeah. seen you know, and and I, I this was not a this was not a vintage Koulibaly game by any stretch of the imagination. I have more concerns for his partner because I still don't think the compliment to him has been solved and they've tried i mean ancelotti tried with with guys and you had albiol there forever and then albiol just you know he relied a lot on experience but at the end his his legs were going away from him a little bit you know for for lack of a better description you know you've looked at maximovich you're looking at uh you know monolos now who who looks like he can't keep up with people is this still a glaring concern for you um the, the the partner for Koulibaly at the center back position? A little bit. I'm not terribly concerned about it. I think Koulibaly and Manolas have had better chemistry this season than they did last year. They they okay. were really of sorts, and a lot of that was with Koulibaly being in and out of the lineup with injuries and things like that. Um, a lot of Napoli fans do want to see Maximovic with Koulibaly because they played very well together last season. Mm-hmm. And, and it's surprising. Um, I guess right now the way Gattuso's playing it mostly is Manolas is kind of our Sedia center back. Um, Maximovic is our Europa League center back. And then Koulibaly plays every match, which is concerning in itself because that's a sure. lot of yeah. a lot of wear and tear. But I get the feeling that with guys like Insigne and Koulibaly, Gattuso lets them decide because he has that trust in them. They're both captains on this team. But th- th- what I would really like to see is Amir Rahmani. We paid money for this guy. He played amazing at Verona last year. And I think a lot of the reason why we got him was because we had planned on selling Koulibaly. Right. I mean, now he's, he's already picked up an injury and COVID during nations league, but he hasn't played a single match, a competitive match this year, other than friendlies before the season. So I would like to see him get some more uh, playing time. My last question. And my last question about uh, you guys is the goalie situation, right? Um, You got Ospina and you got Moret, two go, two guys who could probably be number one. Um, you know, from the from the optics of things, to me, it's it would seem Ospina would be the better choice as number one, just because his distribution is fantastic. Um, but you, as a Napoli fan, what are you seeing? Because I mean, obviously, Moret has a lot of talent. He's and he's still young, and Ospina's getting up there in age. But what do you what do you want to see from a, from the goalkeeper? Is there one that you you know you're leaning towards more, or are they are just are they both pretty good? And you're just happy with either one? Yeah, I'm I'm fine with the timeshare at the moment. I I think that. The plan is for Medet to be the future, Ospina to help him along. Ospina has more experience. Mm-hmm. He is better with his feet, although, I mean, sometimes even that's a little bit questionable. He's made some yeah. great long balls. Uh, Medet, you know, even in this Milan match, there was one play where he played the ball straight to Milan and it nearly led to a goal. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he had to bail himself out, actually. Um, the thing with Ospina is he seems pretty fragile, too. He's He gets hurt pretty easily. He's one of those guys that's always got a minor knock and then comes back. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's been good to have both of them available, especially again with matches every three games. But my preference is for Medet to be the number one. Yep. Um, I actually do have a quick follow up. You know, because I, 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 you know, a, a game like this, a game like the Azad Alkmaar game, um, has really got me thinking. Has really had me thinking about this the other day, and, and having you on gives me a chance to ask this. Uh, you know, I would probably put it out there that, you know, in this time of COVID where it's zero fans, now it's a thousand fans tops, that 
out of all of the teams in Serie A, Napoli missed their home atmosphere far more than anybody else. The mm. the sun the atmosphere of the San Paolo. Would you agree? Yeah, as a, as a Napoli fan, one hundred percent. It's I mean, we were bringing fifty thousand people to Serie B games, so yeah. uh, it's the heart and soul of, of this team. I, I I agree completely. I think they're they're definitely club. I mean, any derby, it doesn't feel like a real match to me anymore. Yeah, right. Uh, you know, we'll see that against Roma on the weekend. But yeah, that we are definitely missing our fans. Yep. All right. Um, Casey, that's a great, uh, that, that that's a great shout and that's a great topic we can talk about. We'll, uh, we'll hit that up after we wrap up all the games, Richard. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to start off first in the game that uh, was hard to watch. It was difficult. To, the deluge in Crotone, uh, Crotone hosting Lazio. This game was a uh, waterlogged. That's the understatement. Uh, Lazio mm. find a way to win two, nothing goal by Chiro Immobile in the 21st minute. And then walking Correa gets his uh, first goal in the uh, 58th minute to make it two, nothing uh, Lazio win on the road. Uh, then going on to Spezia, the game that turned, into be, turned out to be more entertaining than it should have been for Atalanta. Uh, Spezia hosting Atalanta. Uh, a lot of opportunities going both ways. Uh, both keepers had to make big saves. Um, a lot of opportunities going both ways. But 0-0, uh, we had some goals taken away in this one due to offsides. But uh, Atalanta getting pushed by this by the lowly Spezia team. and uh, uh, Very entertaining for the neutrals, but I'm sure Atalanta fans are wondering uh will that defense be able to hold up anybody uh they struggled against spezia so not a good sign for them let me jump in if you would have Please. thrown 100 if you would have thrown 100 dollars on this game that the game would have ended nil nil you would have been walking out with 2200 bucks wow under under half a goal was at plus 2200 wow <laughs> that's just astonishing that's not in the realm of with those two teams would not have been in the realm of possibility i would have looked at the over four and a half at plus 240 Far, far more than the under half a goal at plus twenty two hundred. Wow, wow, unreal. But go, go ahead, unreal. Well, uh, next game, uh, Juventus hosting a team that's near and dear to George's heart, Cagliari. Uh, this game was uh, it was a very entertaining game, uh, but of course the uh, the the leader, the talisman of the club, uh, led them in the way. First Ronaldo, goal of the week candidate in the thirty eighth minute. Uh, he would follow that up four minutes later with another goal of the week candidate. Uh, to make it two nothing, that would be all the goals in the game. Um, very entertaining game for both clubs, but uh, Juventus doing what they have to do in this one and get it get it done. Uh, interesting uh, lineup of defensive choices in, in, in this game, but uh, we can get that a little bit later. Um, next game, Fiorentina hosting Benevento. This game looked like it should have been a, a easy three points for Fiorentina, but unfortunately, uh, they got uh, they got you know steamrolled here a little bit just because. Uh, Unsup- they weren't ready for the goalkeeper to have the, the performance that he did in this game. And I'm talking, of course, the Benevento goalkeeper, Lorenzo M- uh, Montipo. Uh, he had a big game in this one. I had a lot of big saves uh, against uh, uh, Lapadula and company. Uh, but the first goal and the only goal of the game would come in the 52nd minute. Uh, beautiful play by Roberto Insigne to steal the ball, give it to Improta, uh, and he would get the goal, make it one nothing. That would be all she wrote. Benevento get the shock three points on the road at Fiorentina. Uh, to get that win. Uh, moving on to a game that many people were tuning in to see because you had two teams, two very underrated teams, uh, Hellas Verona and uh, Sassuolo. Many wonder would we see a lot of goals in this game because Sassuolo just gives up goals left and right. But uh, we would see a nice defensive game from both clubs. And uh, the goal scoring started in the 42nd minute. The goal of the week candidate by Jeremy Boga makes it one nothing. First half to go to halftime by that scoreline. 76th minute. They would double that scoreline, Berardi, with a goal of the week candidate. 
2-0 Sassuolo win on the road. Very impressive against a very stout defensive team in, in Hellas Verona. The game of the weekend, or one of the games of the weekend, I should say, uh, Inter hosting Torino. And this game did not start out to uh, the way uh, Inter would have liked. Uh, goal scoring started in the uh, stoppage time of the first half. A beautiful, beautiful team goal by Torino off a turnover by Alexis Sanchez. Led to Simone Zaza getting a goal. A beautiful back heel flick by Mieta to set up Zaza for the goal. Makes a one nothing. Coming out of the half, uh, Ansaldi, uh, Torino will get a penalty. Um, Ashley Young doing his best. Does Latan Ibrahimovic impersonation and kicking someone. Unfortunately, this was in the chest. Missed the ball completely. Uh, penalty. Ansaldi would convert. Make it 2 nothing. Looked like we may be having a shock uh, result here, but... Inter respond quickly. Uh, Alexis Sanchez in the 64th minute, just two minutes later, makes it 2-1. to one. Romelu Lukaku, three minutes after that, makes it 2-2. Two, two. Uh, and then Lukaku would get his brace with a penalty in the 84th minute. Both, both penalties in this game, by the way, went to VAR, correctly called, uh, might I add. And then to round, thing, round out the comeback, Arturo Martinez in the 90th minute, a beautiful counterattack by Inter, set up by Lukaku. 4-2 Inter win a uh, thrilling game in this one, Frank. Um, Inter were not expecting uh, to have such a fight in this one, especially going down two nothing early. But a great comeback by them. Not when uh, Belotti uh, gets injured in warmups. Uh, yeah, you would have boy. pretty much confirmed a victory for Inter at that point. But yeah, uh, Zaza scored a nice goal. Um, yeah. It was a nice piece of team play, and then he ends up with it in the end. I, I can't remember who backhill it for him. Uh, was it Mete? Yeah, Swalu Mete. Um, I am intrigued by this Wilfred Singo, um, who played as a wingback, uh, for Torino in this game and drew the penalty, uh, you know, that Ashley Young only got a booking for, um, this guy's only had a handful of appearances, but he's impressed. It seems every time he's gotten out there. Uh, so, uh, you know, hopefully Torino's or Giampaolo can figure this out and realize that they need to play him a little more. You know, I think that to optimize his strengths they switched to playing three at the back which was surprising for me Giampaolo getting out of his comfort zone he's been very stubborn with his 4-3-1-2 yeah. which would freeze out a guy like single singles a wing back he's not going to be a fullback right. um you know so that for me was was quite interesting uh, but then the inter come back and uh you, you know and everything i mean barella was unbelievable again uh you know in engineering that when you take a look at the you know, the numbers on him, he he created. Uh, but I think his performance was more showing up in his passing, you know, through the middle of the park, and then uh, and then also winning the ball in midfield. I think he was probably for his defensive effort more. Gian Paolo non mangia, non mangia il panettone. Yeah. Yeah, it might, it might not be. Might not be. Um, you know, you know I'm one of the few people that uh, – that doesn't think Giampaolo should be fired. I, he actually wasn't even in this match because of COVID um, and a couple of players as well. But Torino's, in some of the, the points that they've dropped, they started the season again at, against Atalanta and they held their own. Atalanta was really clinical in that match. They kind of got screwed in the Lazio match. I think there was a, a questionable penalty called against them. Mm-hmm. I think in the Sassuolo match, it was like a come from behind, late come from behind loss. And then this one, they're up to nil, but again, they're playing, they lose their best player in warmups and, and a guy that helps not just in the attack, but cut, tracks back quite a bit in Bolotti. 
So I'm not so sure yet that Gianpaolo should. I think he should get a Panettone still. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. you. I sure. think it's. I mean, Torino is one of those situations that needs time. Longo came in and took this thing over at the restart and really did next to nothing with it. Yeah. Um. You know. So. Uh. You know. Then I, you want to jump back to the Juve Calgary game here, and I know we got a couple other games to look at yet, but. Um. Even Di Francesco, he got. He got uncomfortable a little bit and decided to go to a three-man defense, largely because he didn't have Diego Godin available to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he decided that you know Velukovic, who I think is a is a rising talent, yeah, um, as a defender. Uh, but you have Ragnar Klavan in there, and you know my feelings about him. If you start Ragnar Klavan, bad things are just going to happen to you. Um, I mean, there's a reason why Jurgen Klopp kicked him out of Liverpool. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it seems like every time he plays for Cagliari, they lose. Uh, and then he goes off injured in the 70th minute. Uh, does he have any pride to you – know, maybe he hurt his pride or does he have any pride to begin with? <laughs> so, <laughs> he's so you know, he's just so terrible. And then you have Pisa Kane back there who has kind of been a frequent visitor, has flirted with being in crap on the cracker teams in the past as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, so they got uncomfortable and as a result i think calgary got uncomfortable and it just led to you know Juve dominating proceedings from start to finish um you know if you're going to be bad be bad doing what you do uh i guess would probably be my message to edf don't try to uh tinker with a with a system that you know, and I get that he was probably limited in what was available to him. Nandez doesn't even look like he was in this squad, and he wasn't. Um, so he probably his hand was forced when you look at this lineup. But um, you know, Rog and Martin together in the middle of the park. He obviously didn't watch Croatia during the Nations League and watch Rog get sent off playing as a holding midfielder. Um, although Rog was actually pretty good in this game. Um you know, and then he had, uh, you know, it was like a three, four, two, one. I mean, it was just a total departure from what Di Francesco's used to doing. You know, so two managers who really need to revive their careers and, you know, put in systems that almost feel like panic mode in a sense. And that, you know, more surprised that Di Francesco would do that. And I think that's just out of the personnel that he had available to him. Um, because I think he's actually turned in some pretty good results and he's got Calgary a little bit on the upswing. I mean, you go to Juventus, you can probably be forgiven for losing at the J. Yeah. But, you know, in Torino's case to, you know, jump, seeing Giampaolo doing a three-man defense, that's, that was a surprise. <laughs> Joe, you know, we know, we know Milan Twitter can be a little, uh, crazy at times. I know Napoli fans can be as well. But did you catch any of the the interisti uh, during the game? Because they were going from one spectrum to the other. So early on the game, they're like, "The world's dying. We're on fire. The the coach sucks. Everybody sucks." And at the end of the game, they're like, "We're the best team in the world." <laughs> I don't know how how heavy any interista hasn't had a heart attack with this team because they are just. I, I couldn't. If I were an interista, I wouldn't be able to watch these matches. Just. <laughs> Yeah, it's just too much, too much for my heart. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. Pazza Inter, yeah. Never reared reared her ugly head in this one, but they uh, they they found the resources to come back, score four times in twenty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, a fan base that's not having heart palpitations this season so far. Uh, That's Roma. Roma hosting uh, Parma. Uh, we get goals in the 28th minute from uh, Mayoral, excuse me. Uh, then the uh, 32nd minute goal of the week candidate, Mkhitaryan, 
Uh, beautiful goal there. And in the 40th, he would get his brace. 3 nothing. Joe, this is your next week's opponent. Um, the midfield on this one, again, just doing beautiful wonders, working well together. It uh, doesn't matter who they have as striker, apparently, because uh, all they need is Mkhitaryan and, and Pedro pulling the strings and Veratut as well. Uh, well done by them. And Spinozola, another good game for Roma. Uh, how worried are you going into this game uh, against Napoli next week, or against Roma next week, excuse me? Yeah, it's it's a big one. Roma's in, uh, probably other than Milan, they're, they've been in top form out of anyone in Serie yeah, They They look great. This looked like one of their easiest wins all season. You mentioned yeah. Spinozola played well. Um, and they did this without Ed and Jekyll in the lineup as well. He's still out with COVID, but that didn't seem to phase them. Yeah. Even they probably could have scored a couple more goals, but I felt like this, the whole second half was just a formality at that point. all three goals in the first half. And then it was, they kind of took their foot off the pedal. Um, but yeah, it's it's concerning the way the way that uh, that Roma is playing right now. That's a, that's going to be through that now, especially with the loss to Milan. That's a huge, huge match for Napoli. If we lose that one, we probably drop further. But if we win one, we obviously gain ground. So yeah, very concerned, but excited yeah. about it too. It's a derby. You know, we always want to take those games a bit more seriously. I can't wait to watch that match. And this is just for Casey. Casey's asking, who do I support? There you go. You got the answer right there. All right. <laughs> I was surprised uh, in this game. Uh, uh, Cristante deputized as a center back in a back three with uh, Ibanez and Mancini uh, from the look of the setup. And I don't know if that's going to be a permanent thing. Smalling wasn't even in the squad. And I don't know if it was a COVID or if he's hurt. No, food poisoning. Food. Oh. Ooh, he had the fish. Did he have panettone? He had the bad. He had the, he, he had the he had the panettone that you give to the sack managers. <laughs> yeah. he go be, go, here you go. Here you go. Go be miserable for a little while, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh my, my gosh, um, uh, just Henrik Henrik Mkhitaryan. What else can you say about the form he's in right now? Oh, I he's mean, fantastic. Just astonishing. I mean, and I think that, and I didn't have a lot of glowing opinions about Roma going into this season. I don't feel, you know, you know, you're, and this was before the transfer window shut and, you know, the smalling situation wasn't totally sorted out yet, whether or not they were going to have him back or not. And I thought that this is going to be a team that was going to go back to having some defensive issues and um, you know, but they're, they're playing as complete as anybody, but you know, let's pump the brakes just slightly. This is a Parma team that, you know, is going to lose our manager in a minute. Yeah, another another manager that's not going to be eating Panatone either. Yeah. Uh, uh, Liverani is is has brought his defensive tactics from Lecce, and he's inserted it in Parma because Parma was far more astute defensively uh, under Diversa uh, than they were under Liverani. It's a lot more loose this time, and I don't. Th- nobody knows what the hell is going on. I mean, and then you're bringing in guys. You're bringing in Galliolo as a guy who's who's who's. I, I, for me, I think Galliolo is a left back. I don't. Uh, I shouldn't say that. He's actually a, a left center back. But, yeah, you know, Osorio I've never heard of. I mean, you, here's the lineup. I mean, I've, I've I've never heard of half of these guys. Gracia I've heard of. Petzel is terrible. Um, Luigi Sepe, if, if Luigi Sepe wasn't in goal, Roma had seven shots on target. If Luigi Sepe wasn't in goal, Roma would have won this match 7-0. Mm, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, problem is the, the one thing you don't want to be doing when you're just fighting for survival is – focusing on youth i mean that's that's good for the future but you might not have a future in Serie yeah the way they're going exactly if you're a middle of the table club that has no chance of moving up and no chance of getting relegated then you play youth guys and get them involved but you know if you're getting relegated don't don't go swinging like that that's not the way not the right 
uh, message you want to send to your fans, I guess. It's, uh, uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Actually, gave uh, Alberto Grassi some good numbers here from his performance, but that was probably the only uh, bright spot in Parma's, uh, in Parma's efforts. I mean, this was just completely, Roma completely overwhelmed him here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a, a fun game to watch uh, as a neutral. Uh, Sampdoria hosting Bologna. Uh, Thorsby will get a goal of the week candidate, a thunder header uh, off a corner kick in the seventh minute to make it 1 nothing. Uh, then we get an own goal by Regini in the 44th minute to make it 1 1 going into halftime. Uh, and then the, the young starlet, Mr. Orsellini, would get the goal in the 52nd minute. Uh, beautiful, beautiful assist by Musabaro. That's a goal of the week candidate there just by the assist there. And then to wrap up all the games, Udinese hosting Genoa, uh, two bottom feeders of the league. Uh, it was always going to be a difficult game to watch, but it was actually fairly entertaining uh, considering uh, the two lowly positions of these clubs. Uh, the goal scoring will get started in the 34th minute. Rodrigo de Paul get the goal in the 34th. Wonderfully done. one nothing. Uh, the scoreline will hold there for a while. And then the man we've been talking about all podcasts long, uh, well, at least in the beginning, uh, Gianluca Scamacca, he would get a goal, make it 1-1, and we thought, well, okay, game on, here we go. But they go to VAR, and his uh, left toe was just off. Uh, unfortunately, the right call, but he was offside. But a great goal nonetheless by him, but does not count. Uh, and Udinese would get the win, one nothing. A, a nice three points for them. They needed that uh, for sure. So that would be all the games, Frank. Uh, where do you want to start on this one? Um... Good comeback for Bologna, and, and good to see them start getting some wins and start getting into some form that that befits who they are. Yeah, um, I think they were underachieving terribly to open the season, and now it looks like they're getting the getting the win in their sails a little bit, and uh, you know, and winning some games. And Sampdoria here, you know, in, in dropping some points as well in the process. This was a very entertaining game. You are right. Um, Twenty-two shots between both teams, and. Uh, Bologna had a little bit more of the ball. Uh, you know, a guy that I, Hey, Nicholas, thank you for, Hey, appreciate the love, Nicholas. Welcome. Thank you. Um, drop a like subscribe, please. Uh, as long as you guys are in the chat, please do that too. Um, uh, we would appreciate it. I have a lot of interest and we talk, always talk about some of these attacking pieces with Bologna. When you talk about Barrow, Soriano, you know, Sansoni, when he plays or Cellini, you know, we talk about Palacio, who I think is in there for experience and hold up play and helping him keep the ball. And I mean, he's going to poach goals. He's not going to, you know, really create his own. But then you look at what else Bologna, how else Bologna is built. You know, Tomiyasu came with some fanfare, was a subject to transfer rumors as a center back and, and, and a guy that definitely has some talent. Um, good night, Stevie. Ciao. Um, but a couple of guys here that I want to pick everybody's brain about if you've had a chance to watch them. Um, I. I like this uh, Jerry Scouten, um, yeah. if I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, I like his game. I like the. I think he's kind of the perfect holding midfielder for what Bologna like to do. And then I like the energy that Matthias Fonberg brings to this team. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I I think that he flies under the radar too, you know, in terms of talent. Um, you know, and I think that these are two guys that performed well, you know, in Bologna's comeback effort. They were substituted. You know, Svanberg came off after 69 minutes. They brought on Dominguez, uh, you know, and then uh, Scouten comes on from Medell, and Medell's kind of that bulldog that, all right, we're 2-1 up. We're, you know, he's in there to just hunt down everything, you know, for, you know, for 11, 15 minutes, whatever Medell can give at this stage of his career. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I like how Bologna is put together, and I like to see that they're getting results now that 
are appropriate for who they are. Yeah, Joe, I we, we've talked many times about how good this club is. And I think uh, what we've been trying to harp on is how Musa Barrow should be getting more minutes. Uh, it seems like when he's in there, Bologna win. He always is doing something. He should be really the striker, leading striker, I think. But he plays so well on the left-hand side. That assist that he had to Orsolini is something magical. What, what do you think about this attacking the attacking qualities that this club has uh, at their disposal, including Musa Barrow? Like, how good can they be if they if they got the right number nine? Yeah, I, I mean, I love that front yeah. four. Barrow, Orsolini, Palacio, um, and Soriano, and, and when Sanson is there, it's another option. Barrow's kind of playing right now like a Jeremy Boga on that side. Yep. Where he can cut in on his, his strong right foot, and he can play those bending shots. He's got a great shot on oh, him, too, yeah. just like Boga does. Or he can play that cross, in that case, to the far post. So, yeah, no, I think they have a lot of potential. They, I think they just need to do it a little bit more consistently. Um, I think that's where they they've dropped some points uh, where maybe they shouldn't have, but I think there's there's a ton of potential there. Yeah, Casey's saying that uh, crazy to say, but Bologna are better built than Fiorentina, and I don't think that's crazy to say. I mean, you just look at the, look at the at players in both squads, and you're like, my goodness, uh, Bologna they can trouble a lot of teams. We seen that even last year, um, but now you know. Hopefully, consistency is what, like you know, like Joe is saying. If they can build that consistency, they can be that next maybe Sassuolo team that takes that next leap to really challenge big boys uh, week in and week out. But uh, you know, a lot of potential there with this team. Hopefully, they can figure it out with, with Sinisa Mihalovic there. Um, we'll be looking forward to that because uh, a fun team to watch, no doubt about it. Every week, goals of the week. Oh, um, oh, good. Yeah, in that. Uh, goal of the week category except it was in his own net but he was he had no one around him no pressure and he, he scored a beautiful goal in his own net. <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that's a nice tap in the <laughs> before we get to goals of the week though i actually want to talk to joe about uh hellas and uh and sassuolo that game had a lot of billing before it uh, we weren't sure which way it was going to go but we thought both teams were going to be a, you know great matchup uh how did you see that matchup uh obviously bolga and barardi had some fantastic goals in this one but um, a pretty good matchup, nonetheless, between uh, two teams that are not many people are are they're actually they're starting to talk about now, but it's te- two teams that have been pretty good over the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I think Verona were a little bit unfortunate in this match. I yeah, I, I, yeah. the better team, but they, they had like three posts or something crazy. Or four, mm-hmm. yeah, four, um, yeah. And and Sassuolo, what impressed me was they actually played a little. They didn't play as offensive as they normally do. They they yeah. tend to back a little bit more they didn't have chicho caputo they i think raspadori started at striker so they yeah. relied on boga and uh, berardi to do the goal scoring and they linked up on both of the goals so credit to them um and for me i mean two of the the brightest coaches in Serie A and uh, the zerbi and even Juric, um we'll see if either of them remain at these clubs they're, they're both working wonders i've i was one of the people that i think i finally have to start giving verona credit i I, I held out as long as I could, thinking that with the losses of, of Amrabat and Rachmani and Kumbula, that yeah. that was just too much for the players that they brought in. It was nice to see Veloso came back in this game. He um, yeah. He's their captain. He nearly scored. I think he, uh, he either hit the bar or he um, was stopped but yeah. on a free kick. But, yeah, no, I, I have to start giving Verona credit. That I felt like they deserved a bit more out of this match. But then at the same time, you have to give Sassuolo credit because what good teams do is even when perhaps they're not at their best or when they don't have their best players, they find ways to win, and that's what they did. Yeah, yeah. Contili had a big couple of big saves in this game as well. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, Verona had something like 19 shots 
yeah in the game or something ridiculous so yeah it was a game that was you know i think that we were when we were on cultural connection richard we were talking about exactly you know, a game that people should probably uh tune into and pay attention to um you know because i think that I think that their fixtures, as far as the top half of the table is concerned, with even Sassuolo being a, a contender for Europe, I think that the intent has been signaled with them. Um, you know, at least this early in the season. So, you know, we'll see if we we'll see if they can keep that up. Um, goals of the week. Um, I'll go first because I only have five. Richard has like thirteen <laughs> goals, even though we're only supposed to do a top five. Um, but he says, since I nominated myself for uh, Who Won Calcio Twitter, he says he could put 13 <laughs> goals in his goals of the week. So Richard, because uh, I didn't uh, plan for the. <laughs> I mean, I said play for two here. There we go. <laughs> okay, is that, that's the excuse now. Okay, actually, before we do that, I mean, and gosh, we're gonna keep people in suspense. Uh, you know, Casey had a comment about the coaches in this league. Oh um, yeah, and how they're more um, uh, progressive now. You know, when you're talking about Pioli at Milan. Um, how let's talk about how much modern minded coaching has changed the likes of Atalanta, Milan, Sassuolo, and Roma, and how important it is to City to have these type of coaches. Um, you know, he, let's talk about the teams that he specifies in particular. You know, and, and Milan and Roma are brand names in this league. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have managers that are, I think that they're, they're man managers, they have a style, and they've recruited well, they, they've recruited very well. And I think that Milan, it's just been an awful long time since they've had a backroom staff that has had their shit together where they can recruit a team, assemble a team and have it be functional on the pitch, you know, and not have a whole bunch of crazy issues. Uh, I think the obvious leadership of, of players like Ibrahimovic and Kiar have been massive, uh, you know, and especially for the development of those young players, uh, you know, so that when the torch is finally passed and those guys move on, um, those, those young players will be veterans ready to lead the next young players. So, They've tiered the system a little bit with how they've built their team, and it's it's definitely gotten a lot better. Roma have solidified defensively, and they've created more options going forward. They're not so Jekyll dependent in, anymore. They're not so Zaniolo dependent anymore. It's plug guys in and play the system that Fonseca has. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so they've and, and they've done really well with that. I still think that there are going to be games where Roma are going to fall apart on you. Okay, but I, I and I'm not going to change my tune about them from a mentality standpoint. I think there's still a fragility to them as far as that's concerned. Atalanta, Sassuolo, and then I'll even lump Hellas Verona into that conversation. These are these are clubs, and we have said this in the past, you know, and Atalanta lead the way because they're visible, they're in the Champions League. They have far more modest budgets than the likes of Milan and Roma. But they have managers in place who have a system. They have a backroom staff that is in lockstep with what the manager needs to be successful. And, you know, we made this comment, you know, when if you, if you watch the movie Moneyball, um, you know, about the Oakland A's, it's like, all right, what do Atalanta go and get? They go and get guys that create chances. And they go and get them for a bargain. You know, they get guys like Malinowski. They got Ilicic for, man, they, I mean, they should... They all were smoking cigarettes for what they got for Ilicic <laughs> from Fiorentina. I mean, they got him for like what five, six million. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't um, they got Malinovsky for next to nothing. They got Miranchuk from Lokomotiv Moscow for fifteen million. You watch when this guy gets more opportunities, he will be a stud. I watched him play for Lokomotiv Moscow. I said, "This is exactly a guy that Atalanta would go out and recruit and go and get." And, and fifteen million might end up being a bargain by the time Miranchuk's done at Atalanta. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's what they do. Sassuolo, they have a style. 
Tizzeri has built things around <clears throat> Domenico Berardi. He's able to keep Jeremy Boga. They found a way to get Locatelli into that system. And they've got they've got guys that fit. You know, Caputo, all you got to do is just get on the top end of all of this and score. Juricic is having an amazing season for them. Yeah. Um, and, th- and the reason why they're more – they've got to be taken seriously now is because they recruited some defenders that <clears throat> aren't going to be guys that Joe wants at Napoli or we want at Milan, okay, but they're better than what Sassuolo have had in the past. Kirikas, I mean, you you didn't have Kirikas, though, before. <laughs> All right. <laughs> but, you know, Kirikas is better than anything they've had before. Okay. Ihan is better than anything they've had before. So, yeah. and then you got Hellas Verona, who their, their system by comparison is far more rigid. Okay. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're going to grind out, they, they, they play and they grind out results. And, and there are times where their football is actually pretty attractive, not to the game that Atalanta and Sassuolo play, but effective and attractive in spots. Um, and you've got guys like, you know, Kumbula and Rahmani who are outstanding for them and who have moved on, but you still have guys like, uh, you know, Zakanye, I think, is the next guy that's going to be making a big money move from that team. Uh, you've got Lazovic, who seems to fit in with that team quite well. Veloso now comes in as the captain. Tamezi's playing well, off to a very good start. You bring in a guy like Cecharini, who, you know, might not be as flattering as a guy like Kumbula, but has experience and knows how to play in a defense like that. So, you know, they've done they've gone out and got the guys that fit what Yurich wants to do. So, I mean, I think that these three teams, you know, when you see what managers are doing <clears throat> with the managers are doing and the backroom staff being able to work in cooperation with that, they're making Serie A far more interesting and they're making it a departure from the traditional six. There are teams in here that are making the traditional six that we usually see at the top of the table. Very, very uncomfortable. Absolutely. Joe, I'll let it over to you first. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it's funny. Last season we had a ton of goals, but a lot of them were because of crazy handball calls. Yeah. This season we still have quite a bit of goals, even though that that rule was changed. And a lot of it is on the managers. But I'm more of the view that the best managers in the league, and and Frank, you mentioned Verona being rigid, are the ones that play the right system with the pieces that they have. Yeah. And that's what those guys are doing. You don't play – modern football just for the sake of playing modern football you play that because you have the right guys usually you need good wing backs to play you know a 3-5-2 system um so Sassuolo they have those guys Atalanta they have those guys although you know a lot of people are jumping off that Atalanta bandwagon this year we'll see I mean they they do historically start slow and then pick it up so Mm -hmm. maybe don't jump off the wagon just yet but my view is that the best managers are the ones that get the best with you know the players that they have on their squads. Yeah, and then a little bit to you know to Casey's point too about like the offensive minded that we've seen uh, of some of these coaches now, and you can also throw in there obviously Napoli. Napoli's play, been playing this way for a while. Uh, Pirlo, what he's trying to do with Juventus, trying to change them to more an offensive style. It's uh, you know the old style of we're going to play Catenaccio, play defensive, not give up our cards so much as make sure we we keep it zero uh, zero goals allowed. That's changed now. Now it's about using the pieces we have and, and exploiting the other team and making it an attractive, fun, scoring goals. Yeah. And it's fun to watch. And this is why other leagues are now starting to come and watch Serie A. They're like, okay, these guys are scoring a lot of goals. I, I remember hearing a comment uh, on Twitter from somebody who didn't watch Serie A before, and they're like, 
that's a lot of goals. Are they all score these many goals? Like, yeah, last couple of years, not this is not a fluke week yeah. weekend. It's it happens all the time now. It's the last three, four years. It's been goals galore and it's getting better and better. More and more teams are now involved. So I mean it's it's entertaining and it's a, it's a mindset that's changed over the years, I think. And it's it's probably all begun because of you know Napoli the way they've been playing ball since you know twenty fifteen or whatever it is. So Yeah, and I think one thing that you're seeing more nowadays than maybe you didn't see as much before is that Teams are actually playing two systems. They attack in one formation and they defend it in a different one. Absolutely. That's, I mean, one thing that we love about Serie A is it's a very tactically impressive league, yeah. probably more so than any other. Yep. You know, and for a while you could chalk up to um you could you could chalk here you guys all talking about Di Zerbi either to Barcelona or to Italy. Hell no. When 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 it's time for Pioli to move on, I want Di Zerbi at Milan. Um, <laughs> I mean, if this seriously, seriously, yeah, okay, hey, why not? He should go to um, a bigger club for sure, yeah. Um, but so my train of thought, I mean, I think when we saw the uptick in goals, and, and we started talking about this really from the very beginning, ever since the beginning of this podcast, uh, you know, almost, almost five years ago, we came on, yeah, we started, see, this is it, it's the city I sit down charm. We came out, we start this podcast, and now city is a fucking attacking league. All right, right. so Richard, we can take credit for this. (laughs) We can try. (laughs) We can try. try. But I mean, you know, we could op. I mean, but for a while, we could operate under the assumption was that there's just some god awful teams in this league that are going to yield so many goals, and that's why you see the uptick in goals. But that's not really the case anymore because you're seeing Inter and Torino. I mean, Inter's a brand name. Torino's still a brand name, even though they've got their issues. And you're seeing a 4-2 game there. You're seeing four goals between Napoli and Milan, two brand-name teams. You usually see that be more rigid. Um, you know, So, I mean, it's it's kind of a shocking state of affairs when you see a weekend full of goals and Atalanta's in a goalless game. It's, it's gotten to that point. Yeah, yeah, so, absolutely. Speaking absolutely. of goals, five, goal, five of the, five, my, my top five, let's do it now. Uh, I, number five, I've got the Borja Mayoral goal, uh, just because of the Spinazzola pass. It was just yeah. brilliant. I mean, that, 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 that split everybody in the stadium. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let alone the Parma players. Uh, so well taken there, uh, in at number four, I, I the, the, the ball from Parolo to, uh, Immobile and the header from Immobile, uh, makes my top five. Number three, Holga, uh, putting it away, uh, getting the, doing the scissors around, uh, uh, Manolas and then finishing. Jeremy Boga's curler uh, uh, in at number two for me, and then goal of the week, the volley from Henrik Mkhitaryan. Just not, that's in that's on the rack for goal of the season. Mm. Yeah, that was a, that was a bullet of a shot by him. Um, my top five just kept changing like a live ticker, live table. It's kept going depending on the game. It's kept going up and down. Uh, so uh, so. Honorable mentions first, uh, both Ronaldo's goals, first and second goals. I thought both of them were really well taken. Uh, Zlatan's second, he wasn't my top five, but he's it's his second uh, is an honorable mention. Thorsby, his header off that corner kick was such a powerful header. You don't see that kind of header or that kind of power off a header like that uh, that often. And then uh, to round out my my honorable mentions, uh, Musabaro assist to Orsolini, really well done. Nice curler there. Uh, from the left wing side. So top five, uh, it's a tie. It's two goals that are almost identical. Uh, Zlatan's first goal and Immobile's goal from Parolo, both goals. Beautiful crosses in and the, and the header by the by the attackers. Well done there. Number four for me, uh, Haugo's coming in there, beating Manolas, getting a nice chip shot over the goalkeeper. Uh, best goal of the game for me in that one. Uh, number three, uh, I'm going to give it to the Sassuolo boys, both Jeremy Boga and Barardi. Two wonderful strikes in that. 
Uh, Bolga's strike was this beautiful. The goalkeeper didn't even move. Uh, and then Barardi with a bullet of a shot. Number two for me, team goal for uh, Torino. Uh, Miete to, to get the back heel flick to Zaza, but the whole play is setting that up off the turnover. Wonderfully done. Zaza putting it away. And uh, just like you, Frank, number one for me, Mikatarian with his uh, blast of a goal. I mean, what a shot by him. Yep. Joe, are you in agreement or you, any other ones that we missed? Or Yeah, no, I, generally I agree. I, I think one that that I really like, not so much because it was such a beautiful goal, was uh, the Benevento goal to Improta yeah. because Improta got his first start. It was more a shout to Inzaghi yeah. because uh, he started Improta's first game. At halftime, he takes off uh, – he brings on Roberto Insigne, and the two of them right after the break link up for the goal, and it was a pretty decent shot, so I'd throw that one in there as well. Mm. Uh, Casey's son is the only person in like the last six months to call me cool, so that's... Maybe even longer than that, so... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, oh my, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Any compliment we can get. Uh, quick jump into... Um, uh, City teams in Europe will make it quick. Uh, uh, Juve winning today. Today's game's Juve 2 1 win over Ferenc Varos at the death. Uh, yep. Alvaro Morata, Debush, just a uh, little bit of a howler from him. It was the header was powerful enough, uh, but uh, nonetheless, uh, Juve leave it late, but still get the three points and secure qualification into the last 16. Uh, Lazio take a big step toward qualification by beating Zenit by three goals to one. It was a Chiro Immobile brace. Marco Parolo getting on the score sheet mm-hmm. there. Uh, Juba scoring for Zenit. Um, you know, I think that uh, Zenit's not the Zenit that we're used people to. were afraid of several years ago. Um, and, and I think Lazio is taking care of business and just further cementing their place. They're, they're pretty much on their way to the round of 16. And when you consider that all of the, you consider all of the issues that Lazio were having, you know, with, with COVID and with lo- loss of personnel and having to navigate through this for Lazio to be in a position where they're, you know, six points out of the top spot in city, uh, and in a position to qualify for the champions league with everything they've had to go through. It's it's pretty hard to argue, you know, we're going to talk about Roberto De Zerbi and the job he's done so far to start at Sassuolo. You can probably say Pioli having Milan at the top of the table, but Simone Inzaghi has probably done the best job so far out of any manager in Serie A. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the work he's done just to muster up a team that, you know, they, they barely had 13 guys for that one game and they found a way to win that game or drew, it was a draw that game. Either way, the, and Dog's been doing a fantastic job both in the league and, and in Europe. And I think uh, full credit goes to him. You know, he's he's got to be one of the manager of the year candidates. Joe, what are your thoughts on what Nzagi's done for, for Lazio? Yeah, very impressive. And I think you also got to give a bit of credit to Ilitare and uh, Claudio Lotito because they, a lot of Lazio didn't feel like they had a good transfer window, but I think they did. Yeah. Back against Juve, they made five quality substitutions and they ended up yeah. getting that. That late Caicedo goal yep. and Pirlo, I think, only made three in that match because he had a short bench. So, I, I think you know, on top of the fact that Inzaghi already did an amazing job with this team, now they give him a few extra pieces off off the bench with Andreas Pereira. Uh, Jean Daniel Akpakpro has been really good, they, they've got more yeah. options, yeah. Um, and he's making use of them when he really needs it because of all the, the COVID issues they've got over there. Yeah, and we won't spend a whole lot of time talking about Juve. We expect them to get three points against Ferenc Barros. Probably didn't expect him to get it the way that they did. But Ferenc Barros, I watched large pieces of this game, and uh, you know Ferenc Barros was stubborn. 
they pose enough of a threat going forward with some of their pieces. Sergey Rabrov was a great player back in the day, um, you know, and, and kind of that fighting mentality that he had as a player is kind of rubbing off on the players and that he, he came from a Dinamo Kiev that played a very, very uh, direct counterattacking style. So he was yeah. very familiar with what Ferenc Varas was going to have to do against Juve, <clears throat> you know, credit to, um, Pirlo for making the appropriate adjustments, getting Morata in the game. Earlier question about earlier question that was asked about Juve, what's wrong with Dybala? Yeah. Um I think his confidence. I mean, we talked about this with Giuseppe last week. I think ever since the arrival of Ronaldo, and now you've got all of these other playmakers coming into the fold, you've got Kulishevsky, you've got I think his confidence is just completely shattered. And I, we made the argument here, Joe, and I want to pick your brain about this. I think that he is – I don't ever – I never – even when he was at the Heights back in 2017 when he helped Juve get to the Champions League final, I always stopped short of calling him a world-class player. Um, I said, this is a really good player. I'm not going to anoint him as world-class yet. And I think that what we're seeing you know, over the last couple of seasons is exactly why he's not world-class. He's a very good player. He could you know, make a splash helping somebody else down the road. But I'll give the hot take, and I gave this on Thursday. I don't think <clears throat> if Juve ever wanted to sell him, I think that he would end up getting sold for far less than what people would perceive because of everybody that Juve added to the team, and you've basically rendered a talent surplus. Yeah, absolutely. They they have so many players that it, it's impossible to fit everyone in. And if you do, you end up playing guys like Keza on the wing, which everyone felt like that's not his right position. But where else do you play him when you have Dybala, Ronaldo, Morata, Kusevsky? You can't. Um, mm. I, I watched your last episode with Giuseppe, and he made the point about Morata and his confidence. And I, I was thinking about that today because Dybala got the start, and I was wondering if that might be the trigger that now puts Morata down. But it actually looked like it was Dybala with the confidence issues and Morata that looked pretty good when he came off yep. the bench. So I agree. I think I think Dybala's value is going to start to tank a little bit. If if he's not a regular starter and it starts to, to mess with him mentally, that's going to show up on the field and his value is going to drop. And we saw this also in the in the matchup against Cagliari as well. He you know he came to the matchup and he had some great opportunities and he was skyrocketing the ball way over the goal. And you're like his form is off, technique is off. It's just something is not right there with him. Maybe he's too busy making TikTok videos. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's just it, he's always been just short uh, of being a world class. And I think you know to, to Frank's point, you know as good as the season he as he had a couple seasons back, it was always on the road in the big games that he would not turn up right. At home at, at the J Stadium, he was fantastic, and you know three goals a game, two goals a game. But on the road or in the bigger games, he kind of disappeared. And uh, he maybe he needs to go to a place like you know maybe a place like Barcelona, Real Madrid. Maybe he can get more freedom, more uh, a style that suits him better. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he just I don't know what the answer is. But it's uh, he's struggling at the moment, and it's uh, it's hard to see with a guy you know that has all this talent that has the potential to be world class and is just falling short. And the other thing that I mean maybe it's something that set him back a little bit was that injury he picked up at the end of last season. It was like a thigh injury or muscle injury. Mm. It's been a roller coaster ride for Dybala <clears throat> from the club. Couldn't do, there was nothing they could do to more to get rid of him. And he just declined every offer. Then they swing all the way to where he wins the MVP of the league. 
and now they've seemed to be swinging back to Dybala being relegated to the bench and maybe not having a spot on the yeah. squad. It's crazy. I mean, and then Casey's asking about Roma as possibly being the best Serie A team. For, I don't even know about that. I mean, how many more players like that do you need at Roma? I mean, you have you have Mkhitaryan, you have uh, Pellegrini, you have um, uh, Pedro, uh, Pedro, Carlos Perez. You have, I mean, you have a laundry list to the point where Justin Clivert got shipped out and is playing for RB Leipzig now. And Zaniolo still got still and going and Zaniolo's going to come back exactly. So I mean, it's. You know, so even that, even at that, you can't. You know, I don't think that that there'd be a place for him to fit. I think that that Dybala's next move is is outside of Italy, going to Spain, going to Germany, going to France. I mean, it's it's going to be you know landing at a at a club with one of those teams. I don't think that physically he'd be able to hack the rigors of the Premier League week in and week out. Um, you know, so I think that though that would be his next destination beyond beyond Serie A and. Yeah. You know, I think that there are some clubs that would probably line up and get him for a bargain, uh, you know, in any of those leagues. So, uh, you know, so it is is it's definitely concerning when you think about when you think about Dybala. So uh, tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, um, Inter host Real Madrid. This is an absolute critical must win game uh, for Inter when you take a look at the standings. Um, and then uh, Atalanta travel to Liverpool. Now they got taken to school um, at home. Uh, on match day three, <coughs> I think this will be tighter. Um, Liverpool are dealing with injuries. They don't have; uh, they obviously don't have Van Dyke long term. Trent Alexander Arnold won't be there. Um, we've seen them do things with Nico Williams at right back, and it's not pretty. Uh, it's something that's that is something that Atalanta could potentially exploit. Um, you know, but I mean, the big, the big three is going to be there and they're going to be out, they're going to be out there killing it. You know, Salah, Firmino, Mane, it's, it's going to be a big, big test for Atalanta to go and get anything at Anfield, but Napoli went there last year and got a point. So anything can happen. Um, your thoughts on uh, the prospects of our Serie A teams in Wednesday's games, Joe? Uh, I, I'm not too confident in Atalanta. I think, I mean, they were a bit unfortunate in the first meeting. Zapata just couldn't buy a goal. He came close so many times. Yeah. Yeah. I just think they match up so poorly against this Liverpool side that probably the deadliest counterattack in the world, and Atalanta's the team that gives up those counterattacking sure. chances. The other, the other player that's been amazing for them, uh, besides those the three-headed uh, monster that you mentioned, is Diogo Jota, who's yeah. Yeah, scoring like crazy. Yeah. So, I think uh, it's Atalanta. I, I agree. It's going to probably be closer. I mean, hopefully you don't want another blowout, but I think it's still a tough proposition for them. Yep. Richard friend of the show, uh bag full of toffee and Everton supporter. He believes, you know, Atalanta is going to win 10, nothing to to child of <laughs> Satan, but they, that's besides that. I don't know if it'll be that scoreline. Um, it's going to be difficult. You need to have, you know, uh, their Atalanta's big three actually perform. Elicic needs to have a better game. Zapata, Papu Gomez, uh, they need really, they really need to show up, and the team needs to play the way that they had been playing uh, in Champions League in years past, and, and last year also. Uh, it's going to be a difficult ask because their defense right now is struggling. And, and to your point, Joe, when you're playing a counter check that lethal and you're already giving up lots of goals as it is, it's not going to be pretty. They got to find a way to you know counteract that counter uh, of the of the three headed monster for Liverpool and try to find ways to capitalize. Du- Duvan has to be better. Um, it's going to yeah. be a difficult game. It'll be closer, but I, I can't see I can't see a win unfortunately for them. And one of the things that they've been struggling with lately, which is very uncharacteristic of them, is they're not scoring. At the, at the beginning of the year, they were really clinical. They were taking every chance. 
I think yeah. in their last five Serie A matches, I want to say, they scored five goals, which yeah. is very un- They had zero against Spezia. I mean, Spezia. Right. You know, for yeah. a team that scored 98 goals in Serie A last year, that's that's really concerning. Yeah. It is very, very yeah. concerning. And then under the Europa League, Roma will travel to Cluj. They travel with a uh, three-point edge over Young Boys and Cluj. Um, you know, uh, I think that you know Fonseca will certainly do some rotating in this game and not be terribly bothered by it. He does get uh, young boys at home on match day five, so that will help um, before traveling to Sofia. So I think it's there for them to go ahead and qualify. Milan now travel to Lille after getting bounced 3-0 at home to them. Um, you've got uh, in the other game, obviously, Sparta, Prague, and Celtic are going to play each other, so that – it could get a little uncomfortable for Milan here if they're gonna if if the Europa League is an intention for them, um, they're gonna have to really battle it out for 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 going through. Um, I think if they can get a point at Lille, that's a, that's that's satisfactory considering there's not going to be Ibrahimovic. Um, they're gonna probably do a lot of rotating ahead of playing Fiorentina on Sunday. Um, if they can get out of France with a point, I think that that sets them up really well and that puts them in the driver's seat to qualify. And then uh, your team, Joe Napoli hosting Rijeka should be, uh, should be able to be a comfortable three points. But we said this about when they played at home against Azad on match day one, an Azad team that was shorthanded because of COVID. Um, and this is a Rijeka team that you struggled with in the first half. Oh, to be a fly on the wall mm-hmm. um, in the dressing room at halftime to hear what Gattuso had to say. Um, how, Napoli players didn't come out of that dressing room without a black eye uh, or some kind of bruise on their face uh, is astonishing to me. But, uh, you know, start with let's start Nop- quick, quickly on Napoli against Rijeka. I mean, I, I am sure you're expecting three points here. And I would think, given that it's Europa League, you don't care how you get it. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it's kind of a must win, though, because the way the group has set up, Rijeka has no points and the other three have six. Yeah. So you got to take those points. The one thing that concerns me a little bit, two things that concern me, one is the point that you made, Frank, about how we lost to Alkmaar. So there's no no guarantees. Um, and then the other thing is that we have Roma on the weekend, and I'm a little bit worried that we might be looking ahead to that match. Gattuso is very good at getting us to focus. <clears throat> but if we're distracted by the Roma match, there's a risk that uh, we give up. We, we don't do uh, what we should be doing in this one. Sure. Sure. Richard, uh, Milan traveling to Lille, uh, a point is an accomplishment considering there's going to probably be a little bit of flipping around to do uh, for Pioli and his team. Yeah, I think the team is just going to try to get uh, have a much better performance, show, show that they really aren't that bad as they were against Lille the first go around and, and really make it a, a good game. Uh, if they get a draw, it'd be great. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised too if they, they found a way to win that game just to get a little bit of revenge. But um, I, I expect a much better performance by them than they did the first game and go around. Right, right. And then we've got uh, Roma traveling to Cluj, a game that they probably should win, but Cluj at home have been dangerous in the past, um, you know, and they're certainly in contention for a play. So it'll be a tough game uh, for Fonseca's team. I'm going to give that one a draw, uh, a score draw at that. I think we're going to go, I think we're going to see 1 1 there. Uh, and mm-hmm. I don't think that Fonseca is going to be too. Same boat that, uh, that, that Napoli's in with the uh, uh, Derby della Sud coming up. Um, probably. Uh, you know, not going to be terribly bothered. Play, players are going to overlook it, and then they're going to have the resources to just go ahead and snatch a point there. So we've kept you all in suspense, and now it's time for our the, 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 the part of the program, I should say, you've all been waiting for. 
who won Calcio Twitter. Uh, Richard, lead us off. All right. First one we got is from Don Totti at Zagnolo underscore fan. Uh, so Forza Italia came out with a, a tweet. It says, uh, in their Nations League trip to Bosnia, Italy uh, have no Juventus players in a starting 11 for only the fourth time in the last 10 years. Don, to- Don Totti proceeds to tweet out, the earth is healing. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, at Zagnolo fan, a past winner of who won Calcio Twitter. So, uh, we do appreciate it. Uh, next one comes from Dave at Forza Inter Haiti. Uh, fuck y'all so happy about <laughs> Inter players in training. And and in some strange pose, you've got Lotaro and Ashley Young, D'Ambrosio. I mean, I yeah. <laughs> what are they happy about? Oh, my God. And I think that one was after a loss. If I'm not yeah, sure. yeah. But after a loss, oh my god! <laughs> oh, God bless inner fans. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right, next one is uh, from Napoli boys, far from Vesuvius. Uh, they tweet out, "Good luck, Juventus. We are all behind you today." And then it says, "Official sources stated that this is false and misleading." <laughs> <laughs> well done, boys. Well done. <laughs> Great stuff. Great stuff. Okay. Uh, uh Bonaventura at Bonaventura uh comes in with uh mom asking where is the car key me AC Milan mom what I said AC Milan on top of the table hey oh <laughs> <laughs> uh this one uh, goes out to Juventus Amorata and Cuadrado playing games on Weston McKinney uh oh for the new man goes down unfortunately I, I thought that was a little funny there so I put two of that in there give you into some love in this yeah, I would have said that uh, uh, Marat is a new man, uh, but he's been there before. Yeah. So I guess yeah, that's true. Really. So uh, one last one. I think this is a good one too. Uh, at Muja dot again dot and uh, you know he, <laughs> you need him in your life right now. He's at uh, Muj Mudded M O O J Mudded. Uh, he has changed his handle so many times and just trying to keep up with him has gotten exhausting. Am I still following him even? I got to look. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, not. Uh, he must have redone his account. All right, but anyway, uh, Suzo has not scored or assisted in the league since February 16th, 2020. Milan has not lost a league match since March 8th, 2020. Lovely. <laughs> he has long, long gone for Milan, but uh, Milan fans will never forget. Never forget which one you got, boys. Oh man, Joe, you're the guest. So, which one did you like? I gotta go with the Inter one. I'm I'm still laughing about that one. Oh, that that, that was priceless. I'm 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 on board with that. Uh, uh, day at Forts Inter Haiti. I think that's the winning. I think that would. <laughs> oh. Where can I share these silly posts with you? Just uh, Casey, it's uh, hashtag Who Won Calcio Twitter. Uh, there's a whole stream because we've been doing this for weeks now. So there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, knock yourself out. Oh uh, my gosh. Yeah. That's by far the winner. That's unanimous. I mean, uh, yeah. I can't stop laughing at it. <laughs> yeah. uh, congratulations. Oh. Right, I'm going to go ahead and call it out. Congratulations at Forts uh, Inter Haiti. Uh, there you go. Uh, you are this week's winner. Of who uh, one Calcio Twitter. 
Folks, if you're listening to our podcast and you find a Calcio tweet that's very amusing, that makes you laugh, makes everybody laugh, uh, bring it to our attention with hashtag who won Calcio Twitter mm-hmm. at Steady I Sit Down. Um, you know, we do this as a weekly contest, and this was this one was I think this is our first unanimous win, Richard. I think it is. I think it is. Absolutely. Well done. It was well deserved for sure. All right. Well, with that, I think we'll put a bow on this edition of the City I Sit Down, and uh, we're going to give Joe an opportunity to uh, give a shameless plug of anything that he'd like. Go ahead, Joe. It's yours. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. It's a blast. I love talking culture. I love listening to you guys watching uh, on YouTube. Uh, you can find my podcast, uh, the Forza Napoli Cultural Podcast, at Forza Napoli Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore Fischetti5. And like I mentioned, uh, or maybe I didn't, um, but we do two episodes a week. Every other episode, I cover all uh, 10 Serie A matches in about 20 minutes. It's more analytical than uh, just simply describing the goals. So um, definitely check that out. You don't have to be. I, I start every episode by saying you don't have to be a Napoli fan to enjoy it. Um, and Yeah, so at Forza Napoli Pod. Excellent stuff. Excellent stuff. And uh, yeah, everybody give him a follow. Uh, you know, Joe, we can't thank you enough for uh, for joining us uh, this week and uh, uh, earning your first cap and something tells me uh, your second cap is not going to be too far away. So uh, looking forward to uh, when that arrives. Uh, Richard, floor is yours. Yes. Uh, first, to answer Rohit Rajiv, Rajiv uh, excuse me, he asked me in Kabak to Milan. Uh, at this point, Milan's a sh- uh, excuse me, Schalke's a shit show, so it would not surprise me. I'm sure they're gonna re- they're gonna lose him, so it's a very good possibility, and uh, it's not a bad location to be at Milan, I think. So, uh, you can follow me at r underscore k h a r m a n anywhere on uh, on social media, and then uh, yeah, check us out on YouTube, uh, putting out videos. I'm sure we're gonna have a European roundup for match day four coming up here after Thursday's games have all wrapped up. So stay tuned for that, and we're also gonna be uh, yeah, just put on more videos. So. Thank you. Uh, you can follow me at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Um, uh, you could also uh, catch me on uh, onsideradio.com uh, uh, on Fridays at 2 o'clock Eastern with Alex Dono, host of Man of the Match. Uh, I give a little 15-minute exchange of ideas uh, on uh, Calcio. Uh, so uh, do check that out. Log on. It's onsideradio.com. Listen live. Richard, let's, get, to- let's yeah, let's give them a plug because we were on their show. We were uh, taking over their show, Calcio Connection. So you know, give those boys a follow as well. They're great, great podcasts. Yeah, at Calcio Con Pod. Uh, check out those guys. It was Alex Dono and uh, Jerry Mancini. Jerry did pop into the chat here a little bit earlier, so we appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we took a did a with uh, Alex on Inter Miami duty on Friday. We uh, we hijacked the uh, Calcio Connection pod uh, and jumped in there with Jerry and uh, we talked to Jerry for 90 minutes and decided to, to give it back to Alex and said, here. Um, so uh, <laughs> we love you, Jerry. Um, Setting us sit down. Now uh, we have our own channel on Apple podcasts. We have our own channel on SoundCloud. You can find us on Stitcher, uh, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever podcasts are played. You can find City I Sit Down. Uh, you can go to at City I Sit Down on Twitter or Instagram. Give us any comments, questions, uh, any takes on future podcasts. We'd love to uh, hear from you and love to hear your ideas. We're also on Facebook, uh, so check us out there. Um, this is the YouTube channel. If you like what you saw, please, please subscribe to the channel. Please drop a like. It means a lot to us. 
Um, and if you're listening to us on any of the podcasts, five stars, give us a glowing review. Uh, we really appreciate it. Hardcore Italians, thank you very much for the swag. Uh, we appreciate that. Joe, we appreciate having you on. Thank you again. We're going to get you on again real soon. Uh, no pleasure. problem. And chat, wow. Uh, I think we had a lot of, we had some new faces yet again. And yeah, uh, good to see chat, the chat, the chat turned up, turned out, had some great questions. Keep them coming. Uh, so uh, Joe, for Joe, for Richard, I'm Frank. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.